Hey, Jess. Hey. Do you want to do the last song on Five Scoring Seven Years Ago? But we already did Up and Up. Uh, uh, oh, no. I can hear those sad memories Still haunting me So many things I do everyone and welcome to sadie hawkins pod welcome to spooky season and sadie <laughs> hawkins pod that's right we're talking about the most gruesome reliant k song this week <laughs> deathbed and not the bed that eats this time that's right we're doing it i'm sitting here we're doing it it's happening no man shall know the hour where jessica will text me while i'm at work and say you just want to knock out deathbed this week yeah so we do have top of the show business. Guess what, David Catch? <laughs> now you have to listen He's to my girl's ex-boyfriend. Oh, that's episode. right. So this table, I swear to goodness, it's going to be our deathbed. Yeah, <laughs> all the creaks. Good so, lord. <laughs> It's creaky, it's spooky, creaky, right, spooky death. It's intentional. <laughs> it's intentional. It only works in October during spooky season. So we'll come back to top of the show business, but to just set up a baseline for those who are maybe newer listeners or if you have if you've been listening for a while but haven't listened to like every episode. It's been established on this podcast a lot more in the early years of the show, because now we're in the we're in the fourth year of the show. I thought we were in the third year. No, we're in the fourth year. We've had three anniversaries. Or, wow. Yeah. So. Right, because we don't have a Halloween song. Right. We did all three Halloween songs. Like, we hey, did all get three on it. I need more Halloween Valentine songs. songs. Well, what they should do is they should take the three Ethan Christmas songs that aren't on uh, Let It Snow, Baby, Let It Reindeer, and they should release that as a makeshift Christmas EP. Because they already have two other three-song holiday EPs. Oh, I was like, where are you going with the Halloween theme with this? Well, I'm I just mentioning... For a second. I, that's not a Halloween thing. I'm just saying they should release another holiday EP, but it should actually trick everyone, and it's three songs that already exist, but you have to go to Tis the Season to Goatee, or whatever right. it's called. yeah. Anyway, on this show, when we started the show, we made it clear that... We don't really listen to the song Deathbed because it's a huge trigger for Jessica. Like the conference, I don't want to talk too much about it because I don't want to literally trigger her. I don't want to, the vicarious balance we have of maintaining this episode. (laughs) It's just too much. We even talked about it with John Schneck when he was on our show years ago, how he said that was his favorite song to play live. And then we talked to him about it right there in the interview and said how like it's too much for you. Mm Mm-hmm. So we'll get into, you know, the whys of that. But basically what happened was all the way back... This is episode 161. All the way back in episode 70, like a hundred... Almost... Wow. 90 episodes ago. That's so long ago. 90 weeks ago, we did what was intended to be part one of our deathbed episode. Well, you did. I had nothing to do right. with it. We, we, meaning us as an enterprise, did... <laughs> we a spooky Hawkins pod. <laughs> What we did was, episode 70, it's me and five uh, friends, four listeners and one person who doesn't listen to our show, who likes that song but isn't a Reliant K fan. I talked to them and got all their feelings. Basically, like, five mini-episodes with different guest Jessicas. (laughs) And then the intention was to come back and do 
you know, the whole, like, you do you just, just like a episode where it's just your deep dive and me doing the covers and the YouTube videos and stuff. But because you don't really want to talk about this song, and it was 2020 and it was COVID, so we're like, we'll give it some time, we'll come back to it, we'll do Deathbed Part 2. I'm not even calling this Deathbed Bed Part 2 anymore. This is just the regular Deathbed episode. I don't even know if I'm going to put, you know, <laughs> Deathbed again, like when we've redone episodes. Right. I think well, I'm just going to call this the canonical Sadie Hawkins pod Deathbed episode. It just took years of Jessica, like us not wanting to do the song because it's too triggering for her. And then one day, the other day, she's like, are you ready to do it? Let's just do it. Let's get it knocked out. I haven't been in a good place mentally. I'm still not in the best place mentally uh, to talk about this. This is still a huge anxiety for me. But I realized that, uh, you know, as we've discussed before, we're going through IVF and everything. And I'm running out of time to uh, be able to take my panic attack medication. So if I get a panic attack from this, I was like, ooh, I need to do this before I we get into uh, one of these periods of time where I, I cannot take anything. So let's go ahead and just, just knock it out because I realize that, that the, yeah. the clock is ticking. And you'll be more emotional when you're on those medications. Oh, yeah. And just being pregnant. And God willing, if things go well with the IVF and you're pregnant, we're, if, if we're pregnant... We won't really want to talk about your anxieties in that context where you're pregnant. (laughs) So it was like, this is, we got to get this done now. So here, here we are. (laughs) We're finally doing it. And I think I've listened to this song more. Mother mortality rate is still like the same as the 1800s, folks. Like we've, we've, we've (laughs) gone backwards. It's bad. Like I already have that anxiety to deal with. (laughs) So, uh, I don't even remember what I was going to say before you drop that little tidbit. (laughs) Here you go. A little factoid for you. Um, So, we'll get into all that in a minute. It was safer to have kids (laughs) when we were born in the 80s than it is now. Frightening. Why is that? I don't know. I'm not a medical expert, but frightening. Spooky, almost, (laughs) for spooky season. (laughs) So, here is a voice. We have three voicemails. This one is from David Park. Oh, wait, before we get into okay. that, <laughs> I almost called to leave a voicemail oh, okay. right. because something uh, I had a few things that came up while I was editing where I was like, Danny, I can answer these questions for you about this song. And I just don't know why I didn't. Oh, last time. week's Luke John B. Yes. So when he says uh, captain ashore, he doesn't mean the captain is on the shore. I think he's calling for the captain to go ashore. Call the captain ashore. Let me yes. go home. Like I never had to. Knock on wood. Exactly. <laughs> it's not, I never had to knock on wood. It's, I never had to knock on wood. Right. He's like, I never Captain, had to feel to a pain so powerful, so heavy I collapse. Knock on wood. Sorry. <laughs> That's right. a pet peeve of mine. Captain, go ashore so that we can call the constable and I can go home. Well, you've been telling me this all week, and I realized something about Sloop John B. Is that despite being called, and I touched on this a little. But despite being called in full the wreck of the Sloop John B, you know, they never actually detail the wreck in the song. Right. Right. It's really more of like, here's a commemorative story about the Sloop John B, because in the Bahamas at some point in the 19th century or 18th century, everyone got real excited when the Sloop John B was found. It's like... I think it was in the 1920s. 19, oh, was it? Was that when the, 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 when the wreck was found? they discovered the wreck, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I was going to say, it's kind of like how... Uh, 
Steve Martin wrote the King Tut song because America had King Tut fever at the time. <laughs> it's true, though. It's a, it's a true comparison. America actually had King Tut fever because the exhibit was touring the country in the gotcha. 70s. And then... I'm like, Egypt Ste- fever also happened in, like, the 20s when they were discovering things. We've a lot had, of stuff happened in the 20s. America has had periods of Egyptian fe- uh, fever, but... The King Tut song that Steve Martin wrote specifically right. was because there was a touring exhibit. That's why he says people line up just to see him and all that stuff. Anyway, I realized that, like, as a folk song, it was written to commemorate the existence of the Sloop John B., which was now known to have wrecked. But the song is just like, here's a crazy day on the Sloop John B. It's not the actual day of the wreck. And more confusing than that, the verses are ashore on shore leave and the choruses are basically when they're on the water because when he says my grandfather my grand come on to sloop john b which makes you think he's getting on the sloop john b my grandfather and me uh through nassau through nassau town we did roam he it's kind of a because it's a folk song it's it's a little incongruous to the facts like he's saying we got a job on the sloop john b and we went around town on a shore leave or the night before we left and we started drinking. And then the other guy, the um, guy who breaks into the people's trunk or the captain's trunk, he's doing that while they're also on shore. So that's why the constable can be called. So what a confusing song. Again, it's a folk song. It's not like it was written by a couple of people. It was written over like generations passed down orally, but in the verses they're on the land and in the choruses they're on the sea. Like that's so confusing. <laughs> so go ahead and play David Park's voicemail. Okay. Danny and Jess, it's David from Jimmy Eat Paul. I'm over here rearranging my desk and listening to the Sloop John B episode. And uh Danny, I, I just needed to give you some validation. I too was one that scoured every album I own liner notes. I found Jimmy Eat World because Mark and Tom wouldn't shut up about Jimmy Eat World in all their interviews and on their liner notes and everything. And that's how I found Jimmy Eat World. That's how I found so many bands by reading the liner notes and obsessing over interviews. So I just wanted to uh, express my solidarity with you in that. Bonkers to me that not everybody does this, but I think there are more of us than we think. Dozens of us. All right, bye. My phone froze. <laughs> I can't. I can't close the. I can't reset the voicemail app. Okay, thank you, David, for calling. Yes, I know. I'm sure that there's not. I'm. I'm sure I'm not by myself in doing this. It's just like when I talk to people who love music, and then I find out that they like know one band. I'm like, I know it sounds like gatekeeping, and on paper, technically, is gatekeeping. I'm not saying you can't not like that band. I'm just saying like. Like, there's more to music. I'm like, I'm more trying to open the gate and be like, hey, come on in. There's more to it than the one band you like. Sure. And yeah. if you examine the um, the influences of your favorite band, you might not even like those influences. I said that last week. But what I didn't say last week is you might not like your favorite band's influences, but it'll give you more appreciation for your favorite band because then you're like, wow. They took those crappy bands I don't like and turned it into something even better into my favorite band. Right. It like ex- how yeah. how Reliant K has been influenced by They Might Be Giants, <laughs> but like I hate They Might Be Giants. 
Well, I got news for you. <laughs> Deathbed is basically a They Might Be Giants song. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> so, we have another voicemail. And this is from Bjorn. New page. You've been Bjorned. Oh. <laughs> hey, Justin Dan. This is Bjorn from Washington. Uh, really enjoyed your podcast. Uh, I've been listening to it every day at work. So, you know, I thought it's about time I subscribed to your Patreon, patreon.com slash Sadie Hawkins pod. Uh, you've been Bjorned. See? Yay! We both spoiled that not having listened to this voicemail. No, I had listened to <laughs> oh, it. Oh, okay. <laughs> but what That's happened wonderful. was two weeks back when Bjorn called and he played a little prank on us with the whole uh, Dan Bakaitis thing. Yeah. And I was like, you've been Bjorned. I wrote, I was going to, that week when I tweet a bunch of <laughs> stuff about the song we just did from, you know, for the following week, I had in my draft, you've been Bjorn, just out of context. Gotcha. And I forgot to tweet it. And then I was clearing my drafts. And I was like, sometimes I'll, f- I'll find a draft from the previous week's like promotion for an episode. And I'll be like, too late for that one. I'll just delete that one. Other ones, I'll be like, okay, I can still do it. I was like, you've been Bjorned. Will people remember? I'm like, no, two weeks out. Now it's really for the true heads. Knowing you've been <laughs> Bjorned. It's the new you've been punked. <laughs> yeah. Have I talked about on this podcast before? This is embarrassing. Why am I bringing this up? How... Punk was very was very big when I was in high school. Punk was huge when I was in high school. Green Day, The Offspring, <laughs> and um, I. Wait, that's had... when I was in middle school. <laughs> I accidentally made myself like three years older. I always had a cam- a, a camera strapped strapped to my hand, a video camera, and so I <laughs> I loved uh, Viva La Bam. I didn't even really watch. Um, punked but mm-hmm. i i quite liked viva la bam not so much jackass but anyways so i'm just closing the curtains i decided to um like prank my mom right. and it is on video <laughs> we gotta find it <laughs> we won't have it for this week. i'm not gonna go in depth on what i did but i shouted at her you just got junked <laughs> it's just punked you got junked <laughs> And your mom was like, she oh, just, she just, <laughs> okay, she dear. She just looked at me like, we have it on video. And she just goes, what? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Mortifying. Well, you've been Bjorn. So I think because I tweeted you've been Bjorn two weeks late, that pushed Bjorn to signing up at patreon.com slash Outstanding. Pod. And I mean, I feel like we should just get callers to just do, to just rep us. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Instead of us having to say it all yeah, the time. Yeah, you pay that us like our... and then you rep us. <laughs> that, that's like our catchphrase. How unfortunate. What? Patreon.com slash SadieHawkinsPod. It's a useful catchphrase. Well, I guess that's true. <laughs> It's not like some crappy 60s, 60s, some 90s sitcom catchphrase like Hachi Machi. Right. <laughs> I want some like, some slightly effeminate like child on a 90s sitcom who's like, patreon.com slash Sadie Hawkins pod. Because that's always what it is. I'm sorry if that was offensive, but I'm thinking of the, actually it's not a 90s thing. I'm thinking of the kid from Fuller House. What's he say? Holy guac, no. Holy chalupas. Holy chalupas. We only got through like... 
three random episodes of Fuller House. We were like, we're not watching this show, so let's kind of like pick a swath of episodes. I, I watched like at least the first season. Well, but... okay. So I must have ducked in with you on a yeah. couple of them. But I was like, I was like, that kid is so sassy. He's just like, holy chalupas. It feels like they used an AI generator. Make up a 90s catchphrase. Well. And then the audience pretends they love it. <laughs> There's no holy chalupas uh, t-shirts out there. There's no Fuller House that merchandise. You know of. So we have two more voicemails. And these are from our new, our new listener, Samantha, who is also, again, not our previous Samantha, who's more of a Sam. Who writes songs. That's right. Hey, guys. This is Samantha calling again. And I called because... Um, I didn't realize that the next episode was going to be about Sloop Drum B. I don't think you guys announced the songs before the end of the episode. Uh, but I was singing Sloop John B to myself uh, all day. And I was like, why is this song stuck in my head? And then you guys released the episode and it happened to be the Sloop John B episode. And I was like, oh, look at that. Look at that. Always, always coming in clutch. Well, I hope you were singing Feel So Break Up and not Feel So Broke Up. I love that. That's awesome. That's some. That's some. Uh, that's got it. Work right there. I have a possible reason why she might have had Sloop John B in her head before the episode came out. Oh, okay. But I'll explain it after the rest of her point in the voicemail because it ties into that. Okay. I was hopeful that this recording would come out a lot more clear than the last one that I did. Um, I was kind of disappointed in myself because I'm over here like I'm trying to start a podcast. How the heck? Um, so listening back to that voicemail, I was like, oh, there's so many things that you can sort of hear and not really hear. Um, thankfully my family was marked safe in the hurricane. I wanted to get that out there. So everybody's fine. Um, but one of, there's just so many other things that I am very excited to talk to you guys about and, um, like my journey in my life with Reliant K and their music and everything that's going on. A lot of the things that you guys mention on episodes, I'm always like, I find myself yelling back like, oh, but I have something to add to that. And I just, I just find it very interesting. I don't know if you guys have paid attention to the Sadie Hawkins pod discussion boards on your Facebook page, but I have been um, pretty active on them. And I think it'd be a fun thing to do if you guys post like, the songs that you plan on talking about or the songs that you've already talked about that maybe you want to hear from others and how the lyrics have impacted them or how the lyrics, uh, how they interpret their own lyrics. Because there's so many times where I am listening back to what you guys are saying and I'm like, oh, but the lyrics could also be interpreted this way. And so I just, you know, I'm not going to tell you guys how to run your show with your show, obviously, but I just thought that would be uh, an interesting um, tidbit and uh, yeah there's too much to say in a single recording so I uh, thank you guys again and I hope you have a great day that's a great idea because we we are we are running out of songs Reliant K mm. please write <laughs> and record some more for us to cover so so she's the first person to really ask this I feel like or at least in very in a long time but, like, on the podcast, we used to once in a while say what we were doing next week. But that, like, 
you need like planning for us to do that. <laughs> and the truth is, <laughs> like seventy percent of the time, maybe even eighty percent of the time, we're picking the song the like the day before we record it. We're and, just two goofballs with a microphone, right? And a lot of the time, we're recording the day before or the day of releasing the episode. That happens Shh, so Danny, much. Danny, stop. <laughs> no. Stop, stop, it makes stop blowing up I don't spot. think that that's bad. I don't know why a lot of podcasts <laughs> are like, we record 25 episodes and then we release them over here. Like, right. that's a good plan. But it's also a good plan to, like, you can record the episode and release it right away. Shout like, out, radio this might be a podcast. <laughs> Yeah, he records out. He he banks episodes. That's cool. That's fine. I'm just saying, like we tried we have that. A more, it did not work. We have a more like <laughs> vol. Like you know, when you check in with us on Sadie Hawkins Pod, that you're getting up to the minute coverage because we're recording like almost that unless day in we a lot told of you ahead of time, right? <laughs> like it was a lot easier in the during the pandemic to make kind of more plans although then also like being home all the time and working from home. I'd st- you know we might still pick a song and then kind of sit. And that work, and like not really get the episode ready. So we just haven't like we don't have we don't know the episode sometimes until a couple days before it comes out. Now in this case, Deathbed, Jessica actually told me like six days ago that this is the song we were going to do, and I got excited. But I purposefully chose not to reveal this ahead of time because it should be a surprise to longtime listeners that we're suddenly <laughs> doing our second Deathbed episode. That's supposed to be a surprise. So I know that this is a big song that people probably would want to call in ahead of time to talk about. But I deliberately wanted to leave this as a surprise in your podcast feed. So I apologize for that. But yeah, I mean, we'll try. But that's honestly the reason why we don't really announce episodes ahead of time. Now, what I'll do sometimes is when I know what when we've already decided what the episode is, maybe we've already recorded it. Maybe we haven't recorded it yet. Recorded it yet. Sometimes I'll send out like little tweets, little jokes about like little winks to people who are paying attention to like, here's what we're doing. Like, hey, we didn't have an episode last week, but I know we'll be forgiven for next week if we release an episode next week because we're doing forgiven. Corny jokes like that to wink and say what it's going to be. I tweeted about the Beach Boys like two or three days before the Sloop John B episode came out because I knew we were doing Sloop John B. So it's possible that Samantha saw that tweet ended up singing Sloop John B in her head, and then the episode came out. That's a possibility. Or we just have a psychic connection to our listeners. Could be. When we did our first Deathbed episode, because it was like a whole like listener episode with multiple guests and me, I put the call out asking people to bring call-in voicemails, and we only got one. <laughs> so the other thing is like sometimes we let people know ahead of time, and we have great engagement, but we don't have like heavy, steady engagement. Right. right. And to be fair, that was really that was rather early on in 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 the podcast. So right. And well, I'm glad that everyone was was marked safe. That's good. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for checking in, and everyone else who's listening. I hope that you're all also marked safe if you're uh, from Florida or anywhere else that Hurricane Ian went went through i think it went up through uh georgia and south carolina Mm -hmm. so i realize all the hoops lives in florida i wasn't even thinking about that Uh, it's one of the guys it's funny when i was talking to my parents on the phone being like checking in with them and stuff and they were like telling me about the storm because we don't have cables we don't have access to the weather channel or whatever i'm i can just go on youtube and see you know some updates and stuff so i'm like oh is it gonna hit seaside (laughs) 
<laughs> my mom was like, no, I think they're going to be fine. They might just get some rain. And I was like, okay, thanks. And I was like, one of the members of Reliant K recently moved there. That's why I asked. And she was like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, we Sanibel, have- however, which was the place that we used to to uh, vacation at when I was a kid, hit really hard Sanibel Island. Mm. Well, Samantha calls back with a 30-second follow-up, which is very important. And then we'll get into the song discussion. I I had to call back because I heard Dan call it a cajon. It's a cajon. Like, cajon in Spanish means drawer, and it kind of looks like a drawer. It's an acoustic drum. I know what it is, but, like, it's called a cajon. Please don't call it a cajon. Love you guys. And that's fine. I did not know because we discovered the existence of the cajon on this podcast over the last three and three and some odd years. And I had never heard anyone say it out loud until I heard this voicemail. So it's a cajon. I don't understand how it looks like a drawer, but I guess... Yeah, because, you know, it kind of looks also like an apple box. It looks like an apple box, which is a film Drawer-esque. Yeah. But I was like, oh, is it called a cajon because you sit your cajones on top of it? (laughs) I was waiting. I I knew where your mind was going, and I was waiting for it. What did you see? I tweeted that? No. See, this is what's nice when you're not on Twitter, (laughs) is I can spring my (laughs) tweets on you in real time, and they're fresh to your ears. No, I didn't. We didn't know that. Like, we didn't know what it was until we started doing this podcast and so many covers use it. And then we went around that time to a couple of churches here in the San Fernando Valley. And like half of them would have a cajon. Like, and I was like, is this the new Christian thing? And then one of the like only Christian bands we got into newer Christian bands is what are they called? Do you remember? They're Irish. Ren Collective. Ren Collective. And they have all kinds of earthy instruments like the cajon. So, <laughs> so. Hey, Dan, what, what's what's the name of that chicken chicken restaurant? What's 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 the name of that one? I don't remember this. What's this reference? I don't remember. Is this an inside joke we you have? You know, there's not, there's not one too far from us. <sighs> their, uh, their catchphrase, which they've gotten rid of for oh, problematic reasons recently, was crazy you can taste. El what's- Pollo Loco. Well, because I'm saying it correctly? Yeah. Instead of a polo Loki or whatever I said? I don't know what I used to say. <laughs> I loved the radio guy who would be like, Pollo Loco, crazy you can taste. I was like, I just love the way he says that. But then they got rid of that slogan because you're not really supposed to say crazy A lot anymore. of enthusiasm there. But they still called Pollo Loco. Well, yeah, you know, it costs a lot of money to rebrand a whole company. You've got that name recognition. Poya Wild. Because <laughs> yeah. you to say wild instead of crazy now. So Poya Wild. I don't know what Spanish, I don't know what Spanish for wild is. That's okay. I, uh, there used to be in Florida a chain of restaurants called, uh, and I'm going to say it wrong, and slightly intentionally, no, no. <laughs> Uh, Pollo Tropical, oh, right, which right. I called Pollo Tropical. And at one point in time, I was dating uh, a gentleman from the Dominican Republic, and he just thought that was hilarious. He thought my pronunciation of that was hilarious. And I've never changed it. Good. Good. <laughs> well, anyway. <laughs> Deathbed. 
<laughs> oh, oh, are we into it now? Okay, now we're done we're with the voicemails. All righty. Deathbed. So this is it. So we're talking about the song Deathbed. So you can go check out episode 70 to hear the first time we did this episode. It was me and a bunch of other people, a bunch of our patrons, and a friend from mine from online who we've met in real life. But I tried to listen. I listened to a little of that episode. And then ultimately I decided, no, like, we just got to make this the canonical Sadie Hawkins pot episode. You just want like, to come that's at a special. Yeah. Come at it fresh. I remember one thing that Brady said when we had the segment with Brady that is still fresh in my mind. I've never forgotten that particular part. But uh, so I'll bring that up again when we get to that part of the song. We're going to go over the full lyrics. But the way we're tackling this is I listened to the song. I broke down the song as best as I could musically, thematically, all that stuff by actually listening to it. Jessica was like, I'll do the episode, but I'm not listening to the song. (laughs) I was going to edit together a special Jessica version where during because really it's the death stuff that's the big trigger so during all the choruses the here is and the end bit and the end bit the here on my death you know here is this is my deathbed lie here alone blah 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 all that stuff i was gonna splitter out those lyrics and then just leave the story of this like sad boomer guy (laughs) and just like here's the upbeat song about this sad boomer guy who has a failed marriage and he goes bowling and he likes to drink bourbon is he a boomer? Or is he pre-boomer? He's just a very old boomer, perhaps. I guess I it's. Suppose. He's not. Hmm. Well, I did not figure out that. We'll go over the lyrics. Yeah, that's a good question. I guess is this technically the greatest generation or the silent generation? Uh, he the might silent be the generation, not the might, greatest generation. He's the silent generation because I think he's too young to actually fight in World War II. Correct. Now he could have gone to like Korea probably. So right. I believe that is the uh the silent generation. Okay. So anyway, so I listen to the song and we'll go over it in that way. Jessica's just got, has her own notes. She did her deep dive. She's looked over the lyrics. We'll discuss the lyrics. Where do we start? Because this is slightly out of our normal structure right. even though we're kind of in the normal structure. I guess I've listened to this song more this week than I think I ever have in my life. You know what? That's where we'll start. My personal relationship to this song, Deathbed. I listened to this song more this week than ever because I basically never listened to this song (laughs) almost my entire life. We've talked about it before, but 2007 is when we were graduating college. I was not big on keeping up with bands and music and even new albums by bands I liked. So Five Score and Seven Years Ago kind of passed me by. I'm like, oh, I know it's out. I think I downloaded the tracks at some point. Which we've talked about for the past three, now four weeks in a row, because we did a full month of Five Score. Of Five Score. (laughs) Welcome to the death of Five Score, the last episode (laughs) of our Five Score saga Un- Until we'll go we come off. back to the yes, remaining songs. is what I meant. Yes, we'll go off for a while, do some other things. But because I'd already been a fan of Reliant K from the release of the self-titled, like, up through mm-hmm, by five score, it's that point of, I've been into this band for seven years now, and my life is getting really busy, so it's taking a back seat, and I'm not leaping on the new song. And there's new fans, there's new generations of fans who will experience them in ways that I'm not able to experience right now. That's fine. I'm just not able to do that. So this being an album that I didn't like ingest in full when it was released, like I had for the first f- for the first uh, four albums, 
this is definitely a song I never got to. The fact that it's 11 minutes long, it's at the end of an album that I barely ever listened to. Like, I had hardly ever heard the electric version of Up and Up, which is one of my favorite Reliant K songs ever now. But I had just never really heard this song. And honestly, when we went to... Um, this is the first time I'm putting this out there as the guy with the Reliant K podcast. When we went to see the 2016 tour and they closed with Deathbed... I was like, oh, yeah, this song. What's this song called? How does it go? I really didn't know it at all. And it's a huge song. It's a cult within Reliant K almost because it is such a massive work of art and such a big song that you can dissect its place in like Reliant K's canon. You can view it in a number of ways. I don't think I'm alone in the Reliant K fandom to say like that you know, it never floored me. Like, I'm sure there's other fans who probably skip it. I think there's a lot of... We've heard from a lot of people who say they like Deathbed, but that doesn't necessarily need to be on this album. I've heard that from a lot of bigger fans than me. So, and I'm not the biggest fan. I'm just saying bigger fans than me have said that. So I don't need to feel bad about that. But I did feel reticent about it when we started the podcast. I was like, oh no... This is a huge song in the fandom, and I don't really know it. And then, because of my emotional connection to Jessica, knowing that the confrontational aspects of death in this song, it's confrontational. That's what it comes down to. Whether or not you find solace and peace and beauty in it through your faith is irrelevant. It's directly confronting you with the idea in the way that almost nothing, and very few other things that are death-based do like so many other things that deal with death are kind of fanciful like you end up in a fantasy land the afterlife it's a fantasy land and horror movies like people are horribly murdered but you know it's like ridiculous like to the lengths in which slasher movies happen but this is like it feels so confrontational and like it's really like he's trying to give you a real approximation of this feeling that isn't natural to want to feel <laughs> So it's difficult for Jessica to experience to want to experience a song like that, and because my heart is with Jessica, I kind of don't listen. I wouldn't listen to it either. But I listened to it so much this week that I kind of desensitized myself to those aspects of it, and I was finally able to really just enjoy it as a song and unpack it. And I'm saying all this. That last point is that when I did episode seventy. I had barely unpacked the song in the way I should have before doing a podcast because that's the length to which my relationship to this song was kind of hindered. Yeah, I mean, I'm the same with Streetlight Manifesto and you, you know, you hate Streetlight Fan Manifesto. You're like, no, they're overrated. They're like, whatever. And I'm like, yes, that's right. That is a very overrated ska band. We don't like them and have, have never listened to them because of it. Uh, but yeah, like you were saying. This well, is <laughs> how about the Taylor Swift thing? You were like, oh, Taylor Swift. She's so she's she's such a mean girl and all that stuff. She's so like up on herself, and I don't like her. And all her country <laughs> music, all she's so twangy, and it's just silly. And then all of a sudden, Jessica becomes a big Swifty, and I'm like, I thought we were an anti Taylor Swift house. <laughs> I've been anti Taylor Swift my whole life for you, and then suddenly you just turn tail. And I don't even hate Streetlight Manifesto anymore. I thought they were overrated when they got big in the mid-2000s. But now I've turned in a different way because at the time, no one else really agreed with me. Everyone loved Streetlight Manifesto so much. 
but now with the internet being wider, there's a lot of people who don't like Streetlamp Manifesto, but they attack them as not a ska band. And I'm like, well, they are a ska band. They play ska in a different way, but they're still technically ska when you dissect it. So now I find myself sticking up for Streetlight Manifesto, even though I don't enjoy Tom Kalonsky. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I don't enjoy his vocal melodies, basically. That's the problem. Like, musically, they're fine. They're like a jazz band, but his vocal melodies and his lyrics are just so overloaded to the point of like is this really the most important thing about your music you just gotta load every single syllable like it's just guy you can't just let anything breathe your your message is so important and it's both growing in our musical taste (laughs) (laughs) i'm a huge fan of the song deathbed now i put it on the vinyl and i dance around the house to it right this is a huge fan favorite it's on the fan curated vinyl um, anyone we've ever spoken to, I feel like, has said this is one of their favorite, if not their favorite, Reliant K song. And I know that, as you said, the song has helped a lot of people come to terms with death and loss. And I think that's great. And it's wonderful. And I'm jealous, to be perfectly honest, because it's always been my biggest anxiety, uh, even as a kid. Um, like, my entire life. I And I've had anxiety my whole life. And honestly, I'm not sure I've ever gotten a good night's sleep. You can look at pictures of me as a child, and I have bags under my eyes. Mm-hmm. Like, I am the oldest-looking nine-year-old in pictures, I swear. <laughs> You're an old soul. I look younger now, I think. <laughs> like, because a lot of my anxiety comes out at night uh, when I force my brain to try and slow down. And even the idea of sleep and where our minds go when when we're resting gives me anxiety. And so I will psych myself out and just stay up. Well, we know until from... Until I, like, absolutely pass out. Right. We know from Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness that our <laughs> minds go into the minds of other versions of right, ourselves around right, the multiverse. Right. Did that give you anxiety in that movie? <laughs> I remember. Uh, I also have ADHD. So during the day, my brain is going in every direction and and usually just taking my body along for the ride. So I tend to do a little better as far as like intrusive thoughts are concerned during the day. But at night, just like forcing myself into that calmer place, it's like, forget about it. And that's, forget why, about it. that's why I read every night. And I read some nights until well into the early hours of the morning until I'm finally just so exhausted that I can't think anymore. And like my eyes just close and I pass out. It's not a great system. I've been slowly trying to to approach that and fix it, but it still takes time and I fall into those old anxious habits. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I because I have ADHD, it's really hard to meditate. It's something that I've been trying to work on more, especially Sounds like recently. you need prayer. I do. <laughs> do I ever? <laughs> but yeah, so that's why this has always been a little a little bit of a different difficult song for me. And yeah, it's just a massively popular song. I came across blog after blog after blog that like this episode could go on for three plus hours we if I touched on every single one. And I don't mean a podcast <laughs> episode. We could do a podcast show, like a series about this. We could do yeah. Deathbed Hawkins Pod and we could do 50 episodes <laughs> unpacking this song. 
And I mean, just, yeah, just so many people. And it's most people just posting the lyrics and like maybe a short blurb, maybe a sentence, a paragraph, if you're lucky. I clicked into all of them today. And so I just selected a few where they actually go into it a little bit more instead of just mentioning it and then reposting the lyrics. Um, I'll also say that like, given my very limited relationship to this song, it always daunted me as a thing to really fully unpack in a podcast format. That's part of the reason why I took five guests to to like try to get into it. But the more I listened to it this week, the smaller it got. Not like, like, oh, this song's getting small. I just mean the more manageable it felt. Like every time you start an 11 minute track, you know, you're like, I'm not going to remember minute four by the time I get to minute nine. You know what I mean? But Everybody the more I shouts to for Freebird at a concert, but nobody <laughs> actually wants to Well, that's a good it. example. Is like, I, you know, I had a period because of Guitar Hero, to be honest, like where I got really into the song Freebird. I had it on my iPod. I listened to it dozens of times and like I was able to metastasize that song better. I just never gave myself the chance to get there with Deathbed, but I listened to it so much this week that it didn't feel so hugely daunting. And I realized that there's things you can focus on for at least just this episode to to talk about it. And there is so much going on in this song that you can almost ignore the death parts of it, even though that is the theme of the song. That's the point. That is the impetus for him wanting to write for Tyson to want to write this song you could almost just focus on the life story of the character in the song because for anyone who I know we have a couple listeners who only listen to this because we're the host they're our friends this is a 11 minute song let's just get the baseline for that this is an 11 minute song and it's a story song it's an 11 minute story song about this guy who was born who was raised in the 40s and it's just kind of about his sad life it's not the saddest life it is depressing it's depressing everything about this song is depressing (laughs) and it's funny because i love a great story song and yeah like i love running by reliant k in this possible you know in the same universe yeah and, and Brandy, stories. you're a fine girl, and Wichita <laughs> Lineman, and Same Old Lang Syne, and Hack and Sack, and Return to Pooh Corner. Just some of, th- and some of those are melancholy, but just like different chorus vibes than than this one. Right. So it's framed in this whole construct of the guy is on his deathbed. He's dying. He's waiting for the moment, and then he, he and he reflects back on his life, and then these like these choruses well they're not choruses these other movements of the song kind of pick up because it's always like slow piano slightly mournful uh piano moments of when he's old and talking about how he's about to die and then suddenly it like picks up and i think the musical choices for all those sort of flashback sections are very deliberately picked and written and and arranged i want to get into more of that in a minute um but do you have more do you want to say? Because I do have notes about actually decoding the song and actually talking about the music is on me because oh. you didn't listen to the song. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because Danny had mentioned, he's like, oh, we're going to talk about Diner this week. And I was like, oh, okay, why? And he's like, just, you know, Diner the, the Diner the movie. The uh, Barry Levinson movie. Is it and, Barry Levinson? I got to double check that. Uh, go ahead. We'll just leave so, the edit in. So. <laughs> I'm a bad movie fan, but go ahead. So it's funny because I was like, Yep, Barry Levinson. I was like, this song, as soon as I read through the lyrics, I was like, this song is very much like the movie Diner, yeah. which is one of my least favorite movies. 
men and American society in the 50s and earlier just it's just depressing for everyone involved because everyone deserves to be happy and it's just about that like you know being forced into like to getting married to whomever high school sweetheart whatever you know someone that maybe you don't even click with or don't even particularly like and just everyone just kind of being miserable and spending their evenings at the diner like instead of with their families so the move yeah so there's so there is there's so much going on in this song that there's multiple reasons why someone might like it. But if one of the things you're drawn to about this song is the story of this guy and his growing up from the 40s into the 50s and then you know the dissolution of his family and if you're just interested in that kind of story and that kind of character, if you're interested in his human aspects that are told in this story, check out the movie Diner by Barry Levinson. It's from 1982, and it's kind of a nostalgic movie for 1958, and it stars Daniel Stern, Wet Bandit himself, (laughs) Mickey Rourke, Kevin Bacon, Tim Daly, Ellen Barkin, Paul Reiser. It's got, and it's just about these like guys who are kind of like on the they're they're just recently into their manhood, like they're a couple years out of high school, and they're these like Baltimore 50s guys, and unlike a movie like. Uh, American Graffiti, which is about going out and having fun and its adventures. It's about these like people who are. It's like what happens to the American Graffiti people after, and not more, not more American Graffiti because that's in its way a comic book of a movie. But this is like the sad after story for American Graffiti. It's like these guys who are just working, and America only gives them so much, and society only gives them so much, and they build their corners of the world and they're happy with their corners and they're happy with what they have. But I made Jessica watch Diner because I'd heard about it as this reference of like people in Generation X who would watch that movie. Like I remember Mark Maron talking about it a couple times when I used to listen to his podcast and other people of his generation. I'd be like, I should, you know, I should check out Diner. I'm going to check it out. And we watch it and Jessica's like, these people are all a-holes. <laughs> and they are. <laughs> But that's because that's the construct socially of like a man in America in the 50s, right? Like that's all. And they get married and they're just getting married to get married because they kind of need to get married. And they're more worried about like, can she cook? And will she understand? Like he makes his wife, he makes his fiance do a sports test because he's so... football test specifically. so... He thinks he's so focused on the unimportant things of life that he thinks this is important. Like, my wife must know football. And he's and if, straight up like, if she doesn't know, I'm not... One of the guys is like, if she doesn't know, I'm not going to marry her. Yeah. Like, and he's dead serious about it. And they all cheer when she manages to pass it. Like, it's, it's, a, like it's a big climactic like a, moment. Right. Oh, great. You get to marry this piece of garbage. Yeah. But that is how the world works. So when I hear this song and I hear this guy in this story that Matt Thiessen wrote, I'm like, this was how it worked. This was how life worked for these people. So you can check out Diner. It doesn't have the salvation and the Christ in it. But it's it's the same kind of people, the same kind of men as the guy in Deathbed. And when I listen to Deathbed, um, this is obviously a song about salvation, grace, forgiveness, and all of that stuff. Like, every song Reliant K ever wrote about salvation, grace, forgiveness, it's all in here because it's wrapped in this thing of, like, here's the ultimate point in the Christian faith of why you need those things. Because, like, the end point you will be saved and you'll be okay, right? Like, you will go to heaven. Like, that's the ultimate point of it. And I'm trying not to use... 
I'm only using as much language as I feel is necessary, so don't trigger Jessica. I'm sure it's too late. Back to Diner, I always <laughs> joke that Danny is like the Daniel Stern character because the Daniel Stern character is obsessed with music. Music is his thing. And so he has this very like particular way of organizing his albums and he gets so mad at his wife that she took an album out and like didn't played put it, back it in and the best didn't put it back sleeve. in the right spot. When I married Jessica, it drove me crazy <laughs> if she would borrow my CDs <laughs> and then I like find the the case in the car and be like where's the cd it's not even in the cd player if the cd isn't in the cd player i'm doing the daniel stern thing but it's like these are and i really connected now he was like really upset at her but like the anxiety of him is like the anxiety for that daniel stern character is like life sucks and like like the society like all these promises i had as a little kid like they're not coming true and in this moment i'm taking this out on daniel stern's characters taking it out on his wife because this music is one of the few escapes he has from this otherwise grim existence as a part of the silent generation in america in the 50s his poor wife just wanted to listen to a record right and he's and like, he but this is really. He up at her because she he was just wrong. wanted to listen to a record. But you can see, but but I think it ties back to this song of Daniel Stern's character has all this pain and anxiety because because the the structure of the world around him is built to beat him down, and I think that's what also exists in this song, Deathbed, in the flashback scenes, like. A lot of people, I'm sure a lot of the blogs you found, and I have one YouTube video where it's like, this song is about how you need God to, you know, you need salvation. And I'm like, yes, that's true. That is true about what that's what this song is about. That is why Matt Thiessen wrote it. But when I hear the story of the guy from Deathbed, if you, you know, just listen to those sections, it's sad, but his, this guy's story is not different from almost any story you can hear from the time it's like this is kind of how society built them like he got this girl pregnant and then they just have to get married but the thing was back in the 50s you didn't necessarily even get married to people that you really felt like you loved like the idea of marrying someone you love it's like oh i like that person yeah i love him like that was like like the the freedom we have now to marry, to like take our time getting to know people, dating, and find the people that we really love, and then only marry them when it really feels like there's a connection. That's a that's a that's a thing that we have now in our society that they didn't even have 50 years ago. So it's like this this Western society was like built against people being happy. Like they had to play their part. They had to do their thing. And that's why you have like guys that drink at the American Legion Hall and they just want to sit on the couch. When they're not working all day, they just want to sit on the couch and drink their beer because they don't have anything else. I'm not even trying to side with this guy, but I'm just saying like the it's not like this is a story about a guy who, you know like beat his what he might have like it might be in the implied story but it's not like he beat his wife or cheated on her or went to prostitutes or like did cocaine or like was a criminal or it's not one of those heavy-handed stories of sin this is just like the benign everyday like sad life empty life that all of us exhibit and i think that that's one of the really beautiful things about it is that even take a song like uh, what can i do 
And when we did this, you know, it's very deep cut, if you didn't hear the episode, about like the ev- these evils of human trafficking that happen and how that can shut down your brain and it can question your faith to hear that all these horrible things are happening. Relying, now, most Christian bands would write a really heavy-handed song about how we have to keep faith in the face of all this evil. And that's kind of what Reliant K does, but they have the way more pragmatic approach, which is part of Thiessen's, like, writing ability. His hope, his real hope, his practical hope is to say, okay, all this really evil stuff is happening in the world, but what can I do? I don't know what to do. And he doesn't really offer the answer in that song. So here in Deathbed, it's a similar thing. Like, yes, the Deathbed guy prays to God to save him because he's been having an empty life and he doesn't know what to do. But it's not like the moment he became a born-again Christian, because he becomes a born-again Christian before he's on his deathbed. In the structure of the flashbacks, Jesus comes to him right before he's about to die and says, one night you were sad and you prayed for my salvation. So that happened at some point in his past, like after his wife left him or something. And I actually read something a little little different into that than I think you probably did. Well, to me, I was like, he, he... he cries out for he cries out in the night in his anxiety like your anxieties and cries out like my life sucks like this sucks like what is going on like my wife has left me like i'm never happy like my dad like completely screwed me over like i'm so sad god like please bring me home like embrace me why aren't you here and he asks for salvation in that moment but it's not as if at that moment his life suddenly starts to get better. It's not like he suddenly starts to get health and wealth and he lives a happy life from that moment on. He just prays that one day and he continues to leave, live the same sad life and he keeps trying. And then even on his deathbed, he's like, my last days aren't going to be happy because barely any of my days have been happy. So many other Christian bands would have tried to write a song like Deathbed, and the moment he gets salvation, he's suddenly happy, and his life is straightening out, and his wife comes back to him, and his kids come back to him. But that doesn't happen in this, because there's a pragmatic approach that, to me, to me, Thiessen brings here of, here's this sad guy locked in this society that we nowadays in 2022 cannot understand, barely, unless you watch movies like Diner or novels that are similar. And it's like... You know, or maybe you experience it with family members right. or something. This kind of stuff still does happen. Like these kind of, you know, empty family experiences absolutely happen. But I, they were the norm of the time when these flashbacks are set. So yeah, it, to me, it's just it's just so depressing because not <laughs> only is this about a dying man, it's about a dying man who is filled with nothing but regrets. And it sounds like, to me, maybe he, like, cheated once, and he felt so guilty that he reached out to Jesus. But that was the happiest moment of his life from what, like, and there's a, some lines I'm going to get to in a second that lead me to that conclusion or or how I read into that. And it's just so sad because finding comfort and joy in the arms of another, like, for the first time, but he forces it down and chooses to conform because of these preconceived societal norms. Like, it just feels so upsetting and unfair. And so when he says, what have I done? You loved that lamb with every sinful bone. And there you wept alone. Sort of is what leads me to believe, like, maybe it was like there was like a cheating scenario or something. And then he was laying there alone afterwards crying because he committed this sin. Yeah, I haven't really unpacked the whole lamb wolf thing that happens a little over halfway through the song. I didn't understand exactly what he's referencing. I was hoping we could unpack that. 
when we go through the lyrics. But it seems like you have an idea. I was like, is this in reference to his wife and his relationship? Or is he the lamb? Or was his life the lamb? Like, he tried to love his life, but he couldn't love it correctly. And he, you know, tried to fill it with the things that were available to him. And it failed. And he basically killed it like i don't know what he's referencing there i couldn't unpack that just by know. listening to it the song's just a bummer it's just a math <laughs> bummer uh he mentions jim beam in this song though which is exciting uh because i get to shout out the family joke that jim beam put my mom through college because my grandfather uh owned a printing company and they did the labels for jim beam for many many years oh shoot i meant I mean, best intentions, I'll just say what would have been way funnier to do. I was going to buy a bottle of Jim Beam and hide it somewhere around the table and be like, here, Jessica, here's your deathbed juice. This is what you need to get through this song. There's one from like 1980, I don't know, two, four, whenever my grandfather retired over there. There's a couple tiny bottles. Yeah, we're bottles. not going to open that no. because it's a plastic but... <laughs> bottle from the 80s and it's definitely going to be poison. name printed on it and everything it was from his retirement party. And it's had more than the angel share. When, yeah. <laughs> when you, a thing about bourbon is like the longer it sits around, the, unless it's like a perfectly glass bottle, especially when it's in the, um, the barrels, like natural evaporation happens. So it's, this Jim Beam has been in these plastic bottles that Jessica's granddad, sorry, you just said it, Jessica's granddad got from his retirement party. But over the decades, it's been evaporating. And I'm like, we're never opening this. This is poison in there. There's a whole bunch of them. My mom has even more at home. We have like six here. Right. So it's called the angel share when bourbon like disappears through evaporation. Evaporation. <laughs> I'm Squidward. This song's about me. I'm the sad guy. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm going to put a AMV together oh, where Squidward no. is the deathbed oh, guy. no. So you said you had you had some stuff musically to talk about. Let's get into that. Uh, well, if you like this song musically, we touched on this with our I Hate Christmas Parties episode. But if you love this song musically, you need to check out the albums by Ben Folds, Rock in the Suburbs, and Songs for Silverman. This is those albums put together into an 11-minute like big worship Christian song. This is Ben Fold's worship. <laughs> like more like I had when we did I Hate Christmas Parties and I was like, this sounds to me like a Ben Fold song. And then we played that YouTube video on Markley Townsend's YouTube channel where he admitted like this uh, I Hate Christmas Parties is inspired by Ben Fold's. Well, even more so than that, the pianoness I'm just going to pick a bunch of random songs from these two Ben Folds albums. Because Ben Folds is so, like, jazzy and also has, like, so many different different influences in his music all around the core of him being a piano player. Yeah, it's a little bluesy, a little 70s. Fred Jones Part 2 is also the life of a sad man kind of coming to an end. He doesn't die, but it's kind of like, I think it's about his retirement or something. There's that song. Okay, this song, not so much. That's kind of like a little... Like, listen to this. This sounds like all those flashback movements. This is Losing Lisa. Carrying Kathy. I'm, I didn't 
do my work of like picking time codes and saying this song sounds like this and that song sounds like that. More specific Ben Folds fans can do something like that. Oh, we get it. Life <laughs> sucks and then you die, Daria. I get it. But I really suggest... So you don't need to listen to Deathbed. I could just force you to listen to some sad Ben Folds albums. <laughs> Like, these literally, to me, sound like Deathbed. Now, the thing is, do you like Ben Folds' voice? I don't really care for Ben Folds' voice. So I don't know how much you feel like you know this song musically, but does it, any of that even sound remotely like Deathbed to you? Yeah, yeah, no, totally. I've heard this live a couple of right, times. Right, of course. <laughs> I mean, to the point where when it came on at the 2016 show, the last, that wasn't the last show we went to. Oh my gosh, I'm living in the past. Um, <laughs> I'm so used to, prior to the Amiatur being like the last Reliant K show we went to back in 2016, um, that when it came on, I knew to go to the bathroom and like stay there until they were ready to do the encore so that I could avoid it. And this song, Jesus Land, this is clearly a direct influence because Jesus is in both songs. <laughs> Does John Foreman come out in this one too? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I just think that this song is like basically... It, it's a and so many songs we've talked about throughout this podcast we keep like finding little songs on the first you know by little I mean less popular songs on the first on albums I think albums three and four and maybe some of the EPs and I wish I could remember which songs I should have written down them down but we're always like finding songs that have movements within them like Reliant K's four and five minute songs that have little movements and build dramatically and we're like well this feels like you know, a prelude to putting together Deathbed, which must have been a big undertaking to arrange oh, a song like yeah. that. Even if, like, musically it may have taken a lot of time to write, like, it's de- it seems deceptively complex in the writing of the song, I think, because it is, like, the same... He keeps, does re- he keeps repeating some of the same ideas over and over in the 11 minutes. April agrees. And they come together into one full 11 minute song. Unlike some other like really long songs like No FX's. <laughs> Jessica April's like, how dare you mention No FX? <laughs> They're not Christian. April Jessica. <laughs> like No FX is April, the decline. Come here. I need I need my emotional support animal. I'm going to get you. Oh, this is why this is why you can't you can't get the jacket. This is why you can't get the the emotional support thing cuz we're your emotional support animals, not the other way around. Hello. So one of the best things about this song is what I was just about to touch on is that it's 11 minutes on the record and it is not like 11 songs. Like, say, a really long song is No FX is The Decline, which is really, like, eight songs, like, that just keep switching up. It's not really a ten... Oh, how... It's 20 minutes? How long is The Decline? I don't know. I haven't listened to it in forever. But No FX is The Decline is really just a whole bunch of punk songs that keep switching back and forth between them. This is an 11-minute song that is a full song. It's not a bunch of... Se- to me, it's not a bunch of separate songs kind of stitched together. It's one full song that sustains for the full 11 minutes. It's like a movie that's like 
where you don't where a an hour and a half movie where you don't feel a second of the runtime or a three hour movie where you are like oh, oh no no it's the opposite <laughs> i just got it backwards like a two and a half hour movie where you don't feel a second of the runtime or an hour and a half movie where every second you're like oh when is this over that to me is deathbed like it sustains the whole time even though it's 11 minutes long it's worth the 11 minutes like he actually somehow doesn't allow it to really get old even though he's repeating phrase musical phrases he's taking he's repeating certain ideas but changing them in different sections i'm not a music critic i don't know what i'm talking about <laughs> i have lots of other notes oh the you remember the opening now you don't listen to the song but you remember the opening little section is like someone walking th- in through a door and closing the door and you hear them walking across the room and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. What do you think's up with that? Did you find anything in your research about that? Uh, no, I just assumed it was like in the hospital or something. That's what I assume is, as well, right? But I think it has a practical purpose for the album runtime, for the album track list. Mm. I'm so distracted by April in your lap. <laughs> you put her here. I know, but she won't <laughs> shut up. <laughs> oh, what's so, he says it? Artistically, the whole opening with a quiet door opening and steps across a hall. Yeah, it brings to mind, it seems to narratively, thematically function within the song, like in a storytelling sense. But I think it's also a really good palate cleanser after Up and Up, before getting into this whole other thing (laughs) that was a risk. Like, to make this song and to try to pull it off was a huge risk. And there were times when I would listen to this song... And I would feel like certain sections were cheesy. This might be sacrilege to say. There were certain times I listened to it and it got me the whole time. All 11 minutes, I was there the whole time. And other minutes, other times I would listen to it. And be like, oh, that, that time that part seemed cheesy. Oh, this, this time that part I rolled my eyes a little bit. Or I wanted to roll my eyes and I held back. But it's a big risk. And I feel like when we talk about Five Score and Seven Years Ago, how they could have cut this from the track list... And they could have put this on like a special EP and they up and up could have been the last track. But if you're going to put this on at the end, you have to have that breathing room. And that happens at the end of over it, I think as well. Right. Cause you know, where there's the, the door and like the footsteps and the creaking door and then it goes into Sahara. Oh, is that over it? Right. But it's, it's all, <laughs> it happens in a track off for getting not slowed down. Now I'm questioning myself. I'm not sure. But then, you know, also deathbed, makes forget not slow down the album it is right like he he achieved something with this song and that helped him to like function i think that helped him to create an album's worth of something similar even though deathbed is a fictional story and it's a lot more grandiose thematically i think like the fact that he could achieve this in one 11 minute song might have made the task of writing forget not slow down as an album a lot easier um so this album would be 40 minute this uh, the album would be 40 minutes without deathbed it's a 50 minute it's an over 50 minute album with deathbed like 40 minutes that's you got your money's worth right there but they tossed on this huge song at the end we'll get i got a lot of notes on the lyrics no one's uh writing in angrily to be like hey itunes i bought each of these tracks individually (laughs) and now (laughs) a couple more things about the music when he starts singing about the bowling 
when he starts singing about like how the kids are, the kids have left him or they're about to leave him and the, and the wife's about to leave him and then he just goes bowling all the time because he's got nothing else in his life he finds something that kind of, that kind of makes him happy bourbon and bowling and he just does that all the time the accordion comes in at that point in the song and there's so much also like obviously even though I think the writing and the melody of this song is inspired by Ben's fold and the pianoness of this song is inspired by Ben folds the production obviously comes from that Brian Wilson side of things. There's so much going on. I can't imagine. It's got to be like 200 tracks on the Pro Tools archive that Mark Lee Townsend probably has. Maybe 500. I don't know how many tracks. Because he's like, when he when he talked about a hey, Christmas party, he's like, this one has like 10 tracks. And that's pretty low for a Reliant K song, right? right? So a song like this has just got to be massive in terms of the timeline on Pro Tools. And there's so many different things, the trumpet and like instruments that I'm not going to be able to suss out. The accordion feels thematically accurate because the accordion, and I know this from They Might Be Giants, and I know this from This Might Be a Podcast that you brought up earlier, the accordion has a place as a working man's instrument and an immigrant's instrument. And a lot of the hate for the accordion stems from hate for other people, for immigrants, mm. because it was a working man's instrument. So to for it to be like he's at the bar in this part of the song, he's drinking, or he's at home drinking bourbon from the bottle, and he's going out to bowl with his, fr- his few male friends in life or whatever, it makes sense to hear accordion because he's a working guy who's been like completely beaten up by life, and this is his few pleasures in life, is bowling. So you hear accordion because he's a working man. And we don't even know, what's this guy's race? Maybe he's an immigrant, and maybe uh, the society has treated him wrong. Maybe. I mean, that is that is true, yes, but it's also, there are exceptions to that rule, especially probably by the time you're around this time. I know that my grandmother, uh, the wife of the uh, owner of the label-making company, played the accordion. Mm. And so I think some people just liked it because both of their parents had come over from Bohemia, from the Czech Republic. Uh, And, you know, you know, my grandfather did very well for himself. So I think that there are probably exceptions to that rule if you just like the very complex instrument that is the accordion, perhaps. Maybe. Um, Going back to the beginning of the song. That's nice. I didn't know any of that about your family. I've mentioned it before. Well, now I have a podcast to remind me of all those things that I'm always forgetting because I'm a bad husband. Multiple times, in fact. So the traveling preacher, his dad is a traveling preacher. Are we Pretty doing sure the lyrics? I've seen a picture. Are we doing the lyrics to the song overall? Are we going to read through them? Uh, up to you. If you if you if you think we should, we are starting to run a little long here, and we definitely have a lot of stuff to get to in the deep dive. But I know, again, this is just a massive song to unpack. Then let me just talk kind of overall about the lyrics and some of the story. So his dad is a traveling preacher who's out there teaching the words of the teacher. But he, his mom tells him like, oh, yeah, your dad's like a soldier and he died in war. I'm a little confused on the logistics of that side of the story. It's like, well, you it know. It sounds like he, sorry to interrupt, but he probably left. And the thing was, is that back in the olden days... Uh, if you were a single mother, you received a lot of scrutiny. However, if your husband died in war, oh. uh, you were not judged quite as harshly. 
there were more opportunities for you, more opportunities for you, for you to move on and such. If you were just uh, a woman who had her, her husband had just up and left, you were definitely looked down upon in society. But gotcha. if your husband had gone to war and died in war, then it was like, oh, okay, we understand. Okay. So referencing a traveling preacher and the fact that he leaves one day to never return implies a lecherousness to his dad, which is a little subversive for a song this penitent and Christian, and certainly a song heavily marketed, heavily accepted in Christian circles. It's like, there's this tiny character who's a preacher, and he just leaves his family. Now, we don't really know any of the details, but he leaves his family and never returns. Maybe he really, you know, he didn't, we know he didn't die in war, because we're told that was a lie. But maybe he died somewhere on the road. But, like, just the trope of a traveling preacher is lecherous. It's like a traveling preacher who... They have a bad rap. ...lays with the court, with the, uh the girls in the chorus or whatever and like does all these things and maybe started another family they have a bad rap and he never comes back and then it makes sense to set up this main character and his relationship with god and christ and the church to think my father was a preacher and all he ever did was leave us so why should i believe in his same god that sets that up that has to be some of the intention there because he has the roots, the character has the roots of what faith, Christian faith, is supposed to be and how he's supposed to ask God for forgiveness so that he'll be saved. If he doesn't have those those roots in his life, then he doesn't know that and he can't do that for the last act of the song. But I just find it interesting that you have a preacher and so many of like the fan YouTube videos... It's like, my dad was a traveling preacher teaching the words of the teacher. And then it's like, really nice pictures of Jesus and a preacher. <laughs> and I'm like, when you put this little slideshow together for the lyrics, you do understand that, like, that preacher isn't a good guy. <laughs> yeah, no, he's one of those, you know, overbearing, like... Proto-television uh, evangelists. Right, types. one of those guys who stands on the soapbox on the street corner and shouts at you that you're going to hell and, and Possibly, all that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, who's very manic in his delivery is is more of the implication. Right. So then he, so then the main character gets his girlfriend, his lady, pregnant, and they know a month in. I don't think you could know if you were pregnant a month in because. They get pregnant, and eight months later, they have their kid. So it's good. It's easy to know you're in love when you're at the end of a barrel of a gun. I'm just like, in the 1940s, like, it'd be about two months, maybe six weeks before they'd really know. Unless it's a a period. It could be as simple as that. They could be like, we're forcing you to get married because she missed her period. And if she's not actually pregnant, you can annul it later or not annul it. Don't you dare annul it. You're married now. But um, what else? Another option is that maybe the father was, you know, like one of those tent revivalist kind of guys and knocked Big his tent mother re- up. He was the lead singer of Big Tent Revival? Exactly. Knocked his mother up and moved on to the next town. Oh, he, oh his mom could have been... Oh, I didn't think of that. His mom could have been one of the girls he had in a town while he was a traveling preacher. Yeah. She might not have been like his wife. They might not even have been married. I don't know if the lyrics say 
my dad was my mom's husband. <laughs> he just says my dad was a traveling preacher. He doesn't say my mom's husband was a traveling preacher. Right. Wow. Um, the thing I remember Brady mentioned is when the character is kind of at, you know, his... It's not even his lowest point, but when he's at one of his loneliest points, having bourbon and bowling to just try to maintain some happiness in his life, take care of his... Uh, I don't know. Bourbon his, and bowling sounds like a great Saturday night. It does. But he says how his life had, take a seven, had taken a 7-10 split. That was a note of Brady's when I did episode 70 of how, like... The seven ten split. It's two pins that are as far away as they possibly can be. Not only is it the worst, like, thing you can achieve in bowling, and that takes a metaphor for his life about how he didn't really succeed at his life. He didn't achieve the things he wanted to achieve, whatever his dreams are. But also, like the seven and the ten, those pins are as far away as they can possibly be from each other. Like his relationship with his wife and his children, since one of them probably ends up in an orphanage at some point, like sleeping. Did we figure that out? If that's his son, Runnin. I, I don't think we know that. I think I don't think the dates work out. Possibly, I'm not sure. I don't remember now. I was thinking how much fun it would be if earlier in this album, during "Faking My Own Suicide," if John Foreman's like vocal performance came in <laughs> as like he's Jesus is like you've committed suicide, and it's like no, I didn't. It's like oh, I thought you were dead, and then he leaves. It's funny. Maybe keep workshopping that one though, Dan. Well, I'll talk about, I'll, I'll brush on this and I'll try not to trigger your specific, you know, anxieties, but just to speak about George, George, For- George Foreman, <laughs> John Foreman. We have one of his grills under the cabinet. Yeah, we haven't used it in a long time. We have the air fryer now. Yeah. George Foreman needs to come up with an air fryer. John Foreman's part in the song where he's like basically the voice of God or the voice of Christ at, you know, the moments that he comes into heaven, that the main character comes into heaven. Well, in my head, only having a tentative relationship to this song, I always thought, like, that's the moment that Jesus starts talking in the song. And I'm like, no, he starts talking a full minute or two before in the voice of Matt Thiessen singing. Jesus says, one night you prayed to me and you asked God forgive me and all that stuff. So Jesus is already there in the song. Christ is already speaking to him. But then it becomes John Foreman's voice at the moment that he's like, definitely, forgive me, definitely dead. And now he's really there and really meeting Christ. And it becomes George, George, John Foreman. (laughs) I'm definitely doing that on purpose to make you laugh and fight your anxieties. Uh But then it's interesting how it blends out from John Foreman as the voice of God saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, back to Matt Thiessen. Not like a stark, like, you know, John Foreman ends and Matt Thiessen picks it up. Like, they almost, like, relay race that line in the end. Like, John Foreman. I will keep wanting to say George Foreman. You know, for the promotion for this episode, you could make a little meme of, like, George Foreman as God holding some, you know, by a grill holding <laughs> some the way, tongs. The truth and and the he's just, like, standing there with, you know, light rays coming out of him standing in the clouds. I don't know anything about the Switchfoot memes world, but I feel like there's probably a lot of George, John Foreman grill memes out there. And perhaps I could probably type in John Foreman Grill and find a couple mock-ups sure, of such an sure. idea. Now, can I can I torture you with one second with the very end of the song? No. It. 
So this, the most beautiful part of the whole song is the last five seconds. Oh, yeah, that was it. Okay, you don't have to hear it. We're not being triggered. The music isn't triggering you. This part, ready? That's so nice, and I wish it was in a song that you could enjoy. <laughs> it's very pretty. It's such a lovely way to end the song, and I really, part of me kind of wishes when he goes, ah, I can't, um, I can't sing. When he goes, ah, when he does that, I kind of wish he did it twice, because I would just feel it so nice, and especially when I listen to the so live nice version. So nice he did it twice? It'd be so nice if he did it twice. Did it remind you of some other song? That's right. So over it into Sahara uses the door squeak in the opposite way. Up and Up is a big rollicking rock song, a big like triumphant fun rock song. And it's like, okay, we need to cleanse the palate just a little bit. Let's do some steps in a door in a door hinge squeaking to get us into this sad, dramatic, you know, penitent, salvation based moment over it into Sahara does the opposite. It's like this was kind of a, a quiet, nice, a gentle song with mm-hmm. a groove. But now we're going to get big and rocking, so we need a quick palate cleanse. Hey, the steps on the hallway and the door squeak worked for Deathbed. Let's do it again. So do you have any... No- What's your favorite part of the song, Deathbed, Jessica? <laughs> when it finally ends. <laughs> One lyric I was always confused about is, like, they get married on my 21st. I always thought it was March 21st. Because he says my 21st. He means his 21st birthday. Yes. He knocked the girl up when he was 20. And then a month later, he had to get married to her. And his 21st birthday. I mean, that's par for the course of when people got married back then. I mean, still today. I was 23 when we got married. Not knocked up or anything. But, you know, by choice. Yes, because we live in a society now. You know, I was thinking about this as well. A certain set, sect of uh, the world, a more conservative-minded group, if you will, would be like, oh, divorce rates are so horrible. Divorce rates are up so high. And marriage rates are down so low. And to me, now the divorce is sad, but the marriage, but but it's fine. And the marriage rates being low. This is all good because this means people are realizing that when they get married and they shouldn't have gotten married that they know they should back out. Now of course there are stories of like heartbreak and people think they're supposed to be together and then they're not. I'm not discrediting any of those individual stories but the fact that marriage rates are low that's good because in a time of the deathbed guy you got married because you were supposed to get married and there's this one person in your community that you kind of like, oh, well, she's good enough to get married. I mean, come on. You still watch movies from, like, like the 60s and stuff. And people who have, like, a nice business relationship ask if they'll marry each other. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. it's like Miss Pennyworth, you and I have <laughs> done a really good job at this paper company. Will you marry me? 
<laughs> but then the modern version of that is Pam and Jim, and they have a courtship, and they get to know each other, and they have the same, they have the same sense of humor, and she they really love each other. She forces herself on her, <laughs> yeah. and she's like, "No, I'm not. I'm not interested. I really am not." And he is like, "But, but, but," and then he gets all upset about it, and then goes and moves away, and then comes back eventually, and then they do fall in love, or he wears her down. Either which way you want to look at it, right? So I don't think that our I don't think the fact that I think the fact that marriage rates are lower and divorce rates are higher bodes well for the actual like love shared between us as humans. Like we now are starting to understand we don't have we're not supposed to just get married. We can wait until you find the right person. Absolutely. Yeah. And I hope no one ever has to suffer and think that they're absolutely in love with the right person. And then they find out that it's it's wrong because that can really hurt. I'm not discrediting those kind of situations. I'm not saying, oh, divorce is always a good thing. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying in the statistical side of this thing, like, it's I think it's only showing that, like, we're ex- we're open and accepting and, and getting to a place where we can care about each other's mental health. And these are all signs of that, even though you think like, oh, divorce rates up so high. That's so sad. Like it can be a different thing. There can be a different causation to the correlation. And you can be happy. Be happy. Right. With Christ. Feel free to be happy. (laughs) Wait for the right person. Get divorced if you have to. I'm not condoning cheating, but if it happens because you find your person, then I guess it happens. You know, like just you do you. Be happy. And I don't want to play down the faith in this song. I really don't want to play it down. I play down the faith in some songs all the time because there are songs where I think Tyson is deliberately writing in a way where he's inspired by his faith, but he wants it to speak to other things. Wait, wait, wait. You're telling me this song is about Jesus? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Jesus is in the song. I don't think there's any other (laughs) Reliant K song where Jesus necessarily shows up. But... It is. That's right. Here at Sadie Hawkins Pod, we agree this is a song about Jesus. That's right. And I'm going to get close to your anxieties. Just hold on tight. <laughs> the This is also a good trigger warning uh, for, if any, for anyone else, although you've probably avoided this episode altogether. I'm not allowed to. But, you know, if you have anxieties, Danny will preface it with like, okay. Right. This is a trigger warning for trigger Jessica. Warning so for it's you. a trigger warning for you. It's beautiful when you have faith of any kind that brings you comfort. And personally, I was raised in a Christian community, in a Christian church, so that's where my faith lies. And I understand the the comfort that that can bring. So when I hear this song, I understand the comfort that this faith can bring when you feel like your life is too much. And this is like a wonderful expression of that idea. And I think that this song is probably, this song has probably actually brought people to Christ, I betcha. <laughs> like more than what have you been doing lately oh, or yeah. something like that. Like I'm sure a lot of people <laughs> very despondent <laughs> have listened to this song and found a faith in Christ. And that's like, I f- and Tyson does this. Confronting you with these ideas of death and these ideas of where do you go when you die and like directly relating these in ways that, you know, we're raised to believe as children. And it's like, well, what place does that belief have when you're an adult? And is that just fantasy or is it not? Those aren't the questions he's really asking here. He's I feel like he's simply saying, here's the life of this sad guy 
and he has this faith and this is the moment he can't escape his death. He's on his deathbed. We haven't even talked about the deathbed side of it, the actual bed and all that stuff, but that's such a theme. That's such a, the bed itself. I know it sounds trite, but the bed itself is like a character in the song. And here he is and he has this faith. So he knows he's going to be okay. Like so many bad decisions he made in his life, so many bad turns. And now this thing that's happening to him, I'm sorry, I'm almost done. This thing that's happening to him if that should be like the worst thing ever, him dying, it's not the worst thing ever because he has this faith. And that's the comfort that's like, hey, my wife leaving me and me making all these horrible decisions and knocking her up and me, me not being able to like get my dad to stay or me making all these bad decisions. Those are on me. This is the thing I can't not do is is passing away. And I have complete comfort in that moment. I know that this isn't that I've made the right decisions leading me to this moment. And that's sort of the beauty of this song in that context. It is. I my one of my concerns with this song from that aspect is we talk about this from time to time is that it will lead that certain sect of Christians who are like the earth is nothing, the world is nothing, suffer through That's it the because... the extreme side of it. The extreme, yeah, it's the that extreme nature of, like, this world means nothing, it's all about the next, that I'm concerned might be a large takeaway from this. And I think that's the wrong takeaway. Absolutely. And I absolutely don't think that that's Thiessen's take... I don't think that's Thiessen's intention with this. I think this... I mean, he just wrote... He, We know that he wrote this family tree, He's written stories or he has ideas in mind about the entire family around this guy. Like he knows more about the canon of this story than we have ever heard through this 11 minute song and the mini sequel in Run-In, right? He's got this huge story. So this is just one piece of the puzzle. This is just one guy's specific experience. And I don't think that the point of hearing this one guy who's part of the great, who's part of the silent generation, who has all these very specific societal problems that he's dealing with. You're making April anxious as well, Danny. (laughs) I don't think that that's the lesson that all of us need to know about death. I think the beauty is here's this one specific story of this guy. And here's what Christ was able to do for this one guy who had a messed up life. If your takeaway from that is that everybody is that guy, I don't think that that's the correct interpretation of of that. And I definitely think like if you have the, like this guy was not given the tools in his life to really succeed and do a lot of good and help people and be kind and stuff. So, but if you have the ability to do that, if you have tools that are better than the sad man in this story, use those tools now in this life. Yes, absolutely. With that, we're going to go ahead and take our break at like an hour and a half in (laughs) and we'll be right back. Thank you so much for listening to Sadie Hawkins Pod. If you want to join the conversation, please contact us with thoughts on this episode, your corrections, and your Reliant K memories at our voicemail line, 402-95-SADIE, or send an email to sadiehawkinspod at gmail.com. You can also visit our socials. Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok are all at Sadie Hawkins Pod, where you can see the visuals we discuss on the podcast each week. 
You can also visit sadiehawkinspod.com for easy access to all these links, as well as our merch store for shirts, mugs, and stickers. And on Facebook, search for Sadie Hawkins Group to discuss our show and Reliant K. It's admin by Danny, so honestly, you can probably post almost anything there. We also want to thank our patrons at patreon.com slash sadiehawkinspod, who include Bjorn, Emily, Isaac, Kindle, Joshua, Daniel, Jay, Joel, Connor, Michael, Samantha, Jimmy Eat Pod, This Might Be a Podcast, Tucker, and Brady. Join our Patreon now for two monthly bonus episodes. Unlock dozens of existing bonus apps, including K is for Karaoke songs, every chapter of the complex infrastructure known as the Female Mind Book, stickers, guitar picks, and a special Patreon-exclusive shirt when you have donated a lifetime contribution of $60. Whether you join the Patreon or not, we appreciate that you have a lot of choices for podcasts out there in the world, so it's nice that you chose us. Thanks. We have genius annotations, which usually this far back we don't, but of course, with a big song like this, we do. Uh, Chorus one, I can smell the death on the sheets covering me. I can't believe this is the end. Genius annotation. The writer is trying to show a person's death from his point of view. He is dying and he knows it. The hospital (laughs) that he is in has given up hope on his living. He will die. And then there's a cartoon (laughs) of a guy in a bed and it says, I only regret not spending more time on the internet. It's like a Sunday, it's like a Sunday morning cartoon from the newspaper. It's like a far side ripoff. Yeah. I had a doctor once who had a bunch of far side cartoons like framed on the wall. The only Farside book we own is the one that's like the behind the scenes book because it's a lot of fun. It's got like weird odds and ends and stuff. That's the only one I ever bought because I'm like, ooh, this is fun. It's, I don't know, it's like his scrapbook and it's got funny situations. Like one time, I don't remember what it was. You'll have to look at the book. I don't remember. There's one where the some newspaper in some city once accidentally swapped the dialogue from the far side with Dennis the Menace. And it was like, people were like, what is going on in these comics? If I close to not my eyes tonight, I know I'll be home. Genus annotation. The man, although dying, still has a strong Christian faith. He believes that his God will take him to heaven his when God. he dies. <laughs> this gives him courage when normally all would seem bleak. First one. The year was 1941. I was eight years old and far, far too young. 1941 is the year that the Americans joined World War II, which is the explanation the narrator's mother gives for why his father never returned home. He later finds out this is untrue. These lines are, these lines also give a sense of the narrator's age. At the song's release in 2007, the narrator would presumably be 74. Okay, I found the Far Side thing. So, the Far Side comic is a family of snakes at the dinner table. And underneath it says, Lucky thing I learned to make peanut butter sandwiches or we would have starved to death by now. And you're like, what? A family of snakes said that? Why? And then the Dennis the Menace comic is Dennis's mom is like too busy gabbing on the phone. So, Dennis and his friend walk past eating peanut butter sandwiches. So, they're the ones who said that. But instead, Dennis is eating eating a peanut butter sandwich, and it says, Oh, brother, not hamsters again. (laughs) So it looks like Dennis the Menace is eating a hamster sandwich. 
When really it was the snake family from the far side. Danny, why would you stab the grimace on its wedding day? (laughs) (laughs) That needs no context. (laughs) Verse 2. Got married on my 21st, eight months before my wife would give birth. It's easier to be sure you love someone when her father inquires with the barrel of a gun. A typical pregnancy is nine months, so it's inferred that this was a shotgun wedding. (laughs) Inferred, yes. A marriage that is arranged very quickly and suddenly because the woman is pregnant. Weddings were called such because of the stereotypical scenario where the father of the pregnant bride-to-be threatens the man to marry his daughter, traditionally with a shotgun. And there's yet another cartoon, though not Far Side or Joe Loves Movies. Loves bad movies. Yeah, it's just a painting of like a shotgun wedding. A very scary look. Almost looks like AI art. (laughs) It's really, really scary. The wife is particularly horrifying. I don't think it's in. I don't. Well, it seems like the genius annotation is saying like it's implied that this. Like it's. I think it was a literal shotgun wedding in the song Deathbed. From there, it's your typical spiel. Yeah, if life spiel. was a highway, I was drunk at the wheel. This is a reference to life is a highway. I want to ride it all night long from the Cars John, 2 soundtrack. I was just about to say the Cars John Mayer version. Uh, genius annotation. The typical reason of failure persists. Alcoholism. There is a Double meaning in these lyrics. His wife was a mess since he had no control of it. And well, the narrator was an actual alcoholic. Hmm. Sure. Uh, A bottle of being kept the memories from me. Our marriage had taken a 7-10 split. And along with my pride, the the ex-wife took the kids. (laughs) Ike took the kids? I I liked Ike and then he took my kids. (laughs) Um... Genius annotation. He lost everything, and the obvious reason was his alcoholism. He is alone at the end of his life while his wife his wife took his kids and all of his pride. His failures are more prevalent rather than his successes. That could just be the summary given for the whole song. Uh, and then there's not another annotation until the John Foreman bit at the very end. Uh... What Bible verse did this quote? Okay, so you yeah you you all know the you all know the lines. Uh, Genius annotation: The final lines of the song follow a two-minute instrumental interlude, which represents the song's protagonist passing away. Therefore, these lines can be seen as the first words he hears when he reaches the afterlife. It is Jesus's reply to the narrator's soliloquy, inviting him to come into his saving grace. The words are adapted from the biblical scripture, John fourteen six. Jesus answered, "John Foreman six. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You want to speak to my dad? You got to go through me. That's what Jesus said. (laughs) Nobody comes to my Father but through me. Uh, Then we have uh, an article through the Canton Rep where... uh, there's an interview, and Teeson specifically mentions this song. Jersey Shore Jesus. <laughs> no. You want to speak to my dad? you got to oh, go boy. through me. Jim Tan Laundry and Pray, or whatever. <laughs> Relaying K discusses my, my Jersey Shore Jesus is still a good person, not like the Jersey Shore 
scumbags, but he's still Jesus. Relying K discusses conflict through pop. Nick Rogers published. He just loves Sunday gravy. (laughs) I'll turn water into Sunday gravy. November seventh, two thousand and seven. What I. Wouldn't they be? Weren't they more into spaghetti? What Sunday macaroni gravy is hooligans? Sauce. Oh, I was like macaroni because hooligans. Is what they called it in Japan. <laughs> <That's> so <right. laughs> I'm your macaroni hooligan. <laughs> they call uh, some Italian, some portions of Italian Americans call spaghetti sauce gravy. Uh, I see. Reliant K's Matt Thiessen doesn't insist the moon landing was filmed in a studio or launched into a diatribe about magic bullets or grassy knolls. His lyrical suggestion that an <laughs> Abraham Lincoln impersonator died April 15th, 1865 was just something quote unquote dumb he needed to fit an album title. It really was the last thing we wrote for the album, Teason says, of the opening track off Five Score and Seven Years Ago, which twists the Gettysburg Address to reflect five albums in the seven years for the pop punk band. I remember you reading this article all the way back in episode five when we talked about... <laughs> I didn't care what the lyrics said. But that was, that was years ago, I'm saying. Like this... Yeah. Uh, skipping forward a bit... Um, Discussing difficult conflicts in three-minute pop song form, Reliant K tries to fill albums with more than just 12 songs about a girl, although on five score, there are some of those too. It's a good representation of where I was when I wrote the record, says Tyson, the band's lead vocalist, guitarist, pianist, and principal songwriter. I was in a mood for some love songs. And in the mood, too, to pen Deathbed, a sonically and spiritually ambitious 11-minute epic about a cancer-riddled man reflecting on his life and, in the end, finding comfort in Christian faith. Not to be a hippie or anything, but life is all about that spiritual sort of aspect, Thiessen says. (laughs) Nobody knows all the Not to be woke or whatever. (laughs) Nobody knows all the rules when it comes to that stuff. And it's very gratifying to sing something about to sing something from your soul on stage. We're not prolific by any means, but it's way more interesting. Deathbed is a sacred exception for a band whose universally interpretable lyrics, along with a punchy sound primed for the top 40 radio, have helped a crossover to secular audiences. Reliant K is on Capitol Records, but keeps Christian presence and distribution through its initial label, Goatee Records. Teasing credits bands like P.O.D., Six Sense, the, the Richer, we learned. and tour partner Switchfoot with showing that Christian artists didn't have to be perceived as minor league music makers. Uh, and then it just goes on and on. I just wanted to read the bit about Deathbed. You didn't have to. It's basically what I said. I'm kidding. Of course you should read it. Uh, then, uh, next up, we have a blog with an inaccurate title. Deathbed by Reliant K, an epic that was ignored. Do you think at the Last Supper they had that gabagool? Perhaps, but this <laughs> song was in no way ignored, and the articles that I found on it alone right. <laughs> prove that point. July 30th, 2014, by Nathan Sams, in week two. Deathbed, whatever that means. Uh, In 1998, a four-piece band, now five-piece, out of Canton, Ohio, emerged. Their name, Reliant K. The name came from an old Reliant K automobile. Actually, by 2014, were they still a five-piece? 
Uh, however, due to trademark issues, we, yeah, they we still, all know the story. About I think they've remained a five piece even gotcha. after John, John, and Ethan left. I mean, they, sure, but they still they they like consider themselves just two members after that point. I think technically they weren't the duo until the release of Air for Free. Like that was part of the marketing of that. Maybe I'm incorrect in that, but I feel like. There was no discussion that Reliant K is just a duo until Air for Free was released. I'm skipping forward a bit uh, because there's a lot of stuff going on about, yeah, we know, boys from Canton, named after Hoops Car, etc., etc., etc. How's uh, Warped Tour going? <laughs> right. Uh, throughout the entire discography, this band has recorded from 1998 to 2013. There has never been a song like Deathbed. I won't go far enough to say that it matches the epicness or raw creativity of something like Queen's anthem, Bohemian Rhapsody. However, I will say that from a story standpoint and production standpoint, this song can compete. Let's get into it. Below is the song, which you can listen to while continuing to read the post. It's a 14-minute event, so make sure you have some time to listen to the entirety of it. Note the lyrics at the bottom of the post. Wait, 14 minutes? No. It's a 14-minute event. Is there extra on the... on? Wait, where did they get this from? This isn't even the official Reliant K... It's a YouTube. Minutes. They got this from SW Battlefront Guru and uh, from 13 years ago. <laughs> some fan? Is it some who fan? Who mainly has uh, uploads of uh, different episodes of that 70s show clips, <laughs> uh, a couple other things. Maybe that was Yoda. the only upload of the song on YouTube until the official. Because yeah. the official upload is from is from six years ago. Like, bands didn't really start using YouTube as an official way to release music until, you know... And no, it, it this copy of recently. the song is still 10 minutes and 58 seconds, so... I know I've referred to, to Deathbed as, like, a 15-minute song in conversation, but that's just because in that moment... You're not writing remember. an article! Yeah, like, I could... If I'm writing an article, if I'm not speaking extempora- extemporaneously, I can, like, go search and double-check my facts. You can't do that on a podcast. You can't search for facts in the middle of a podcast. It's just not cool. They also use the incorrect too, but that's just me being nitpicky. Analysis. As the song begins, we hear a person walk into the studio and sit down at the piano. This creates a certain expectation about the experience that we are about to have. A slow, soft piano quickly crescendos into the atmosphere while retaining a pianissimo level of quality the piano is warm and calming as well the first lyrics spoken established that the song will be from the character's perspective the first few lyrics are dark and cold the character's reflecting on his own mortality as the piano drives the moment to the reality oh goodness excuse me i'm just gonna have a dog bone real quick uh here you go april she's like i've been out i want to go to bed uh the opening lines of this song are actually Oh, sorry. Uh, as the piano drives the moment, the reality of the audience's darkest fear is revealed. This character is going to die alone. The opening lines of this song are actually the chorus that finds itself in the midst of the story. As the first chorus concludes, the next movement begins. 
as tends to happen. As if to catch the listener off guard, the music turns bright and happy instantaneously. It's at this point where our story actually begins. The character gives us context to what year the story is starting, which gives us a reference to how old the character <sighs> is. <laughs> the section has heavy pop piano. This is with fine if you've never heard the song, but and punchy drums. This is a, this is symbolic of the beginning of a story, which has hope and promise. Out of that section, a flute begins to combat with the punchy drums, and the lyrics demonstrate loss, and so does the fullness of the arrangement. Harmonies shape the. A, melodic contour. A nobody did harmonies like Frankie Blue Eyes. <laughs> soothing voice to the character. I mean, I disagree because, like, it starts out and it's very hopeless. It's a very bleak beginning, to be perfectly honest. Like, it is. I mean, the, the definition of the word bleak, even if you... No matter what you have faith in and everything, it's a bleak beginning those choruses are bleak it becomes unbleak when he ascends but yes right. it is bleak at the next age jump in the lyrics by 47 i was 14 the vocal and strings come together to convey the start of where the character's journey started to get affected by his own selfishness it's in this moment that we learn the character was a chain smoker and alcoholic once this is established the breakdown to the only vocals, piano, wow. organ, and bells. I think bells symbolize the passing of time, in this case, Christmas, and how the character feels that time is too short and his time has been wasted. The music here is focused and contains heart. I feel like to say his selfishness at this point in the song is extrapolation. He smokes a lot, but everybody smoked back then yeah like all he did was smoke like that's all the information we have about him like we can extrapolate from the context of the song that maybe he's making other bad life decisions but like i said that's par for the course for the generation of the guy in the song as we move into the next section we return to the chorus with an ever building brassy section that is constantly crescendoing without ever getting to the full fortissimo at this point the chorus is pulsing as if the listener is feeling the last heartbeats of the character once we exit the chorus a new chapter in the character's life has started and with that a new musical idea an instrument that sounds like a harpsichord is introduced into a whirling motif that gives the audience the idea of a whirlwind which is appropriate considering that the character at 21 has impregnated his girlfriend and must marry her this is shown through the lyric it's easier to be sure you love someone when her father inquires with the barrel of a gun. The next shift of music occurs when the songwriter brilliantly uses the word harmonious while an acapella arrangement takes center stage in the music. The piano comes back in the background as the character becomes more frustrated with his life. The music returns to an edgy punch, which reflects the character's emotions of anger, fear, and regret. As we return to another verse of his story, another instrumental is introduced. This instrumental has a bright timber and pierces through the music. It is highlighted as if the instruments in the song are evolving at the same rate as our character. We are given an insight that the character is now a divorced and alone alcoholic. This lyric leads us to the chorus. At this point, the chorus is mostly consumed with string instruments and piano and vocal. 
their accents throughout the section, reflecting the character's frustration with his own life. As the chorus builds, we should just open reading this article. <laughs> it's such a concise, good <laughs> right. It's it's because they're they're using all the. I knew there's a the lot of stuff like terms, this. The right. musical terms, and I knew the music itself and the instrumentation and the arrangement was telling the story. But I just do not have the tool set to break it out like this person was able to. As the chorus builds, various instruments that we have heard before are now coming together. Flutes, voices, piano and strings, and even some brass are now entering into the final plea from the character. Suddenly everything is taken away and we return to piano and vocal. The character begins to reveal his fears about dying in relation to Jesus. The music seems to grow warm with emphasis on its hymn-like quality. As the piano... Oh, so many music-specific words. Has the piano glissandos, <laughs> glissandos, and the strings provide a base for the environment. The character is now encountered by Jesus as soon as whoa, Jesus whoa, whoa, enters slow the down. scene. In in environment, what's that? Acoustic guitar enters into the music, creates a soft, touching moment. Jesus takes our character back to the moment in which he claimed redemption. The music is only piano and voice at this point. It's warm, gentle, and inviting. A drum kit appears in the music to add extra emphasis on this moment. Once the beat is established, strings well up and symbolize the joy of the character as he realizes that he is not alone. So, also, okay. That just made me think something else. So... Jesus does show up at his deathbed and says, one night you prayed to me. Then there's the instrumental part that represents his spirit going up. And then when he's up there, uh, John Foreman is God again, or Christ is, is Christ speaking again. I guess there's a number of functional, like logistical reasons why it's John Foreman in that moment, because obviously it's a very beautiful transition switch in that moment musically it's a switch foot is what you're saying it's a switch of the feet but i guess more specifically is like it kind of tricks the mind it's kind of a musical trick to switch to a guest vocalist at that moment uh and to know if you know like the connections between relying k and Switchfoot, if you know their relationships and if you are also like always raised on christian music and you are familiar with switchfoot to hear that it's a it's an emotional trick it's a good trick i'm not saying it's a bad trick but it's a trick to switch to a guest vocal there because jesus has technically already had dialogue in the song directly so now this is the important line and you switch to the guest vocalist and it's like it makes your mind think jesus just showed up even though technically he's been here for a couple of verses for the final chorus, the music is simple as a piano and toy xylophone are played. This is a moment of the character's last breath of life. The character then begins to talk in past tense for his departure is beginning. In this Concourse emotional B. in this emotion section, the music begins to build and swell. Cello is highlighted for a brief moment and the music gets bigger by the addition of drums. The char- as the character's journey to heaven is happening, the music feels inspirational, full and bright. The introduction of horns and brass are present, the sound becoming rounded and happy. The character is finally discovering love for the first time and being loved for the first time. Once the character reaches heaven musically, we are pointed back to the person of Jesus. John Foreman from Switchfoot gently sings, and then they say it. 
As the song comes to an end, piano voice and strings gently lead you out as the story comes to an end and the listener has just completed a long and emotional journey. The song is breathtaking and there is no way to hear everything in one listen. It's worth breaking down and hearing it in its full quality. And then they post the lyrics. Well, that's a great article because like I said, I love that they actually broke out the song and figured out some of the context for the arrangement choices yeah. and how that's part of telling a story. Cause I knew that stuff was going on. I didn't know how to say it, but it makes me think, I don't know if we got it, went over everything you have there, but we should hear the opposite of that. I have here a YouTube review of the song deathbed. This is uploaded by trigger. Oh, wow. Okay. This is by the YouTube channel trigger. This is music review deathbed by Reliant K. And it's a picture of this fellow in a green shirt and a fedora. But just so you know, I don't want this to distract from the message of what his review says. It's not a video. It's a bunch of still images of him doing this and like cussing him in this pose and that pose. For whatever reason, stylistically, that's what he decided to do. That's not important. What's important is the way that he breaks out the song, you know, on par with that last article. Let's hear a little bit of this. Hello, lovelies. I'm Chris Johnson, also known as Triggerfinger, here on YouTube. I've been experimenting with different ways to do what I love here on YouTube. And That's in my good. last video, I did a piece classifying music genres, and I like the way that turned out. Good. So along with my love of music and fascination with ph- photography, I've decided that I will do music reviews here on YouTube. That sounds cool. This is only two minutes, so we can listen to the whole thing. Okay. If you have a suggestion for a song I can review, please tell me in the comments. And with that, I present my... That was a dropout in the video itself. Oh, okay. I don't know why, but here he goes, reviewing the song Deathbed by Reliant K. Here's a review of Deathbed by Reliant K. First of all, you must understand that I believe what the Bible says is true. Now that you know that, you understand why this song is personally meaningful to me. Sure. To my knowledge, this song was created by a live band and edited later. Alrighty. You know, I didn't think about that. I do think that this was created by a live band and then edited later. I mean, you mean like that the the members were alive when they recorded it. The, in the there's studio? that, but he. I mean, I just didn't put. I didn't think to put it that way. This was recorded by a live band, and then they edited it later. I mean, that's in his opinion. That's his opinion, but you know, it takes. You mean like on a stage? He literally he he's, he thinks it's worth noting. That sometimes songs are recorded by live bands and then edited later. I think he means like all together in the room, which I don't know if that's correct or not. Studio albums are recorded piece by piece. Right. Right. That's how records are done. Right. Every It's a novelty when it's a full band in the album. Of course, songs are edited. That's how it happens. Right. Especially because there are so many instruments in this. I wouldn't think that they were playing it all at once. Exactly. Anyway, the song was extremely well put together, and the instruments were excellently chosen and created the contrast that makes a great sound. The instruments were excellently chosen, and they create a contrast that creates a great sound. That sounds accurate to me. It's better than anything either one of us said about it. (laughs) Using two different styles of music, the melancholy piano of the first part, and the lively drums and the tinny guitar of the second part, it creates a general contrast that influences our emotion. It's true. 
it does have a contrast that influences our emotion. You find that contrast to influence your emotion too greatly, so you don't like that contrast. Mm -hmm. Song, certain instruments, like the accordion, are used in only certain parts, making a more concentrated contrast to differentiate the, the different sections of the subject's life. It does differentiate all the different subjects of his life. These are all words that are fancy. That sounds accurate to me. <laughs> You're too nice. Speaking of emotions, this song's lyrics create an emotion of sadness for the subject, which in this case is an old man in his deathbed remembering the horrible decisions he made in the past that caused regret. This is also amplified by the som more somber to tones of the piano and strings induce. AP, come here. April's just hyping this guy up. <laughs> she says, don't you speak for me. I can do that just fine on my own. You All right, truly I'm... are becoming the third host of this podcast. Are April. you saying this guy did a better job in two minutes than we did in two hours? Yes. Yes, I am. It's are shifted whenever the artist starts singing about the art subject's past. Enter the guitar, strings, drums, horns, and what I like to call guest instruments, the accordion and bells. Those are what I like to call guest instruments as well. This guy and me have more in common than I think. Here I am trying to mock him, but those are also what I would call guest instruments. Yeah, because they're not usually in the songs. Oh, was that it? In the typical Christian view, the lyrics say, accept God's forgiveness and live your life for Christ. Don't make the mistakes this man did. Now, that's the one point I get to, like, argue with him. <laughs> I'm trying to just mock his word choices because they're so verbose for the sake of being verbose. But that's not what's happening in this song. At least I'm definitely not getting that sense. He came to Christ long before he died. And things didn't, like, magically get better for him. Right. And I don't think that you're supposed to hear this song and think, like, oh, I don't want to be like this guy because the odds are you're not part of the silent generation in the 1950s and you didn't have to force to marry some lady because you got her pregnant. Certainly not if you're listening to this podcast anyway. <laughs> in a secular view, this song can be interpreted as live your life with no regrets. I mean, I guess so. Yeah, I definitely see it that way as well. As like a, you know, well, I appreci a cautionary tale. I appreciate that Trigger Finger looks at the secular view of the song as well. Here I am wanting to mock this video, and you're just like, yeah, yeah, it's cool. He's more concise. It's like a podcast, but it doesn't take all day to listen to. You're too nice. Did you have any other articles to read before oh, we go yes. on to was my that stuff? It? That was it. I just oh. cut it short. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was um, only like 10 seconds left. Yeah, I'm going to have to pick and choose here because there is so much. There really was so much stuff out there. Um... Let's see. We have an Indivision music review. Uh, Song of the Day, Reliant K Deathbed. This is from October 2nd, 2020 by Brandon J. In articles. And there's six comments. I'll just come out and say it. Deathbed is... Oh, see what they did there? Whoa. Deathbed is quite possibly the best quote-unquote Christian song that has ever been written in the past 15 years. That is quite a statement to make, and I'll tell you why. First of all, bands who can create an 11-minute quote-unquote epic song, which consists with constant peaks and valleys, all while captivating the listener with a heavy dose of heart-tugging melodrama, melodrama, you know they are doing it right. <laughs> this April is so Forever. distracting. 
get her. I'll hold her. You're reading. I got her. Hand her over. Oof! Oh, you're so heavy. You're Ugh. such a big dog. There we go. <laughs> a big 19-pound dog. Uh, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just me being a sentimental, sappy fool. But when I give this track a listen, I am left with a tear, uh, and then in parentheses, S, tears streaming down my cheek. Why does a Reliant K song hit so hard? What is it about this 11-minute story set to music that constantly draws upon our emotions? The Beach Boys harmonics mixed with the band's sly and witty lyricism is pure gold. The past two days, I've listened through this song like three or four times alone. Oh, that's nothing. Danny did it like six at work the other day, which is... That's an hour. A lot, yeah. And it's inspired... A little over. And it's inspired me to type out this little song of the day feature. Deathbed was the final track on the band's 2007 full length, five score and seven years ago. This album was a slight departure from the past material, but even when I listen back, all these songs define Reliant K and their unique sound. The album was a little different than mm -hmm, but still captured their pop punk spirit, and by the time you reach Deathbed, you are left with a sense of songs that have captured the heart and mind, knowing full well you've just witnessed magic happen. Deathbed tells the story of a man growing up during the early to mid part of the 20th century. (laughs) For me, I identify with the character in the song as someone from my own grandpa's age group. That's a good addition. The The character in question lives a rough life, traversing the many pitfalls and perils of growing up during that period, seeking out love but left searching for it and feeling neglected. He is dying of cancer from the cigarettes he spent his whole life consuming, and Deathbed tells a sort of redemption story. A man left broken on his knees in his final days, crying out to a savior to heal his broken heart and to forgive his past mistakes. Eventually, as the song... That's nice. I like that. That's a very concise way to put it. Eventually, as told in the song, the man does indeed meet his end, but in that final moment of grace and healing, he finds redemption in Christ Jesus, lifting his spirits and taking him home. I don't know why I get so emotional even just now in discussing this track, but I feel... I feel emotionally wrecked, but also hopeful for another day. Another day. God bless Reliant K and Deathbed should be on everyone's playlist now and forever. Uh, Then there's a Reddit thread discussing Deathbed by Reliant K and Owl City. So as many of you know, Deathbed and I found... (laughs) Is there an Owl City remix of this song? So as many of you know, Deathbed and I found love have extremely identical endings. Go ahead and check it out if you're unfamiliar. This has been Danny grabbed for his phone. This has been explained by the fact that both songs were formed around the same time when Adam and Reliant K were doing collab work. Apparently, I found love was supposed to be on Ocean Eyes, but didn't quote me. But don't quote me on that. Anyways, I've been meaning to point out another big similarity. Deathbed has to Lonely Lullaby. First listen to Lonely Lullaby around the 1 minute 34 mark. After I'd rather dream dreamline. Now go listen to Deathbed around the 1518 mark. The I was so scared of Jesus part. Notice anything the piano parts are very similar. Thought that was cool and something you might find interesting cheers. This is so I found love. Oh, yeah, this sounds just like Deathbed. <laughs> I think it's talking about the ending. Oh, yeah, there is. 
Oh yeah, that. Uh, that I mean, that just seems like a. There's got to be a name for that kind of note. <laughs> I mean, I'm what sure they're not saying music. is that both of these are a clear ripoff of "Thank You for Being a Friend." Oh yeah, <laughs> the full version, which I don't think is always on Spotify. One time we went looking for it. Thank you for being a friend. And then, like, thank you for being a friend. AKA if you the had Golden Girls theme. The song. Golden Girls theme song, like, if you threw a party invited everyone you know you would see the biggest gift would be from me and the card attached would say thank you for being a friend you think oh that's a cute song if you hear the full-length version (laughs) there's suddenly a bridge and i'm not making this up i'll try to look for it it's like and when we die and float away into the universe. She says, into the night. Into the night. I'll turn to you and you'll hear me say, thank you for being a friend. And you're like, whoa, 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 what? <laughs> They're very close friends. And when we heard that version of the song, it blew our minds. <laughs> then we kept listening to it. Yeah, this verd, this death song, you can listen. Jessica can listen to. But then I was like, it'd be so I funny. I try not to listen to that bit. Though. It'd be so funny if the, if the friend who's being sung to is like, I have a husband. <laughs> I'm gonna die and float away with him. Oh, interesting. Uh, this is unrelated, but also in the same thread. Can't live without you. Ending sounds super similar to the ending to Feel This by Blink One Eighty Two. I know he's a big fan, so it makes sense. I mean, he even made a song with Mark Bop, Mark Hop, <laughs> Ha Ha. What the fuck? Okay. Apparently, "Can't Live Without You" sounds like a Blink One Eighty Two song. Oh, this isn't the right version. Okay, yeah, this is like the original, this is like the song that was like a hit later. There's actually a full music video for this. I didn't know Andrew Gold, and I guess it was re-recorded for the Golden Girls song, for the Gold, as the Golden Girls theme song, but here's the original radio hit by Andrew Gold, and here's the, here's the bridge, it's amazing, and in the video, it's like, he's slow motion singing to the camera with a wind machine in his face. It'd be great if it was John Foreman. Like, thank I can't do a John Foreman impression. Thank you for being a friend. Amazing. That's the that part of Deathbed always gets me. Uh, then we have a post on Strange Culture blog from March 26, 2007. This is Best of 2007, Deathbed by Reliant K. I can't imagine there being a better song in 2007 than Deathbed by Reliant K off their newest album, off their newest album, Five Score and Seven Years Ago. At the 11 minute, at over 11 minutes long, lead singer Matt Teeson takes on the first person voice of a man dying on his deathbed of lung cancer. The old man discusses his life and faults from his smoking habit to his disconnected marriage 
that he entered when his wife got pregnant to the alcohol he consumes to pass his life away. It is here on his deathbed that he's faced facing the conflict of who Jesus is and whether Jesus really can forgive his sins. The lyrical and poetic explanation of this struggle is beautiful, especially at this point. The song is so similar in overall tone and feel of Don McLean's American Pie. As the old man dies, the song ends with the grandest of all finales as John Foreman, lead singer of Switchfoot, takes on the vocals of Jesus speaking to the man in his first moments of death. Foreman has the perfect voice for his role, for this role, who uh, who a calm but full and powerful voice that concludes the song and the CD with an amazing climax. This alone gives me tremendous respect for Tyson and Reliant K that I have never had before. Last week, the CD premiered at number six on Billboard's Top 200, and while my M- and while MTV and online downloaders might be drawn to songs like I Must Have Done Something Right and Forgiven, it is this song that is the amazing standout from this album. So what do you think, Jessica? Do these articles make you feel like you're really missing out by not listening to this song? Not particularly. Uh, again, because we're, we're uh, running sort of long. I, there's a couple more blogs and, oh, and articles. Little. So I'll, uh, I'm going to skip those. It's the 11-minute song. But I know? do want to show you. We're going to have episode. We're going to have an 11-hour episode. I do want to show you this one article that I can't read. Because of the style choices oh on gosh. the website. <laughs> what you could do. Hold on. Oh, no, that doesn't even work. I was like, if we highlight the text, that didn't work. I guess if you highlight... It's, it's sort of like white on a grayish white background, and therefore you really cannot oh, read hold on, uh, hold on, what's hold happening. On, hold on. Maybe oh. smart invert would help. Oh, yeah. Or then it would just be black with a, with a gray background. Hmm. Like a dark gray. I was trying to get... Uh, I was trying to oh 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 here's a paragraph nope didn't work I was trying to get I was trying to get Siri to say it but for some reason it won't speak All right what do you have for us Dan What do you have to torture me with now Well you know this song is on the live album and uh somehow they take an 11 minute song and cut it down to about eight and a half minutes It's 9 minutes and some few seconds on the live album but that includes about 25 to 30 seconds of chatter at the beginning which is cute when Tyson's like do you guys mind if we play one more song and then they have like a little banter about like it'd be funny if you all said no in unison so how did they cut I mean I know one way they did it but they cut this 11 minute song down to about eight and a half minutes one of the ways they do that is they completely skip to the first flashback. They don't have any of the this is my deathbed stuff at the beginning. There might be other ways that they cut down the time, but I didn't bother A-being that. Someone might know. Someone must know. If this is a song that you've listened to a million times since 2007, I'm sure the second you heard the live version, you were like, oh my gosh, they cut that verse out too? But I have no idea. Because if I listen to an 11-minute song, like I said, by minute 8, I've already forgotten minute 3. So what else do you want to see? <laughs> I didn't show you anything yet. Hold on. Pulling up my notes. Um, so I won't bother playing the lot. I can't, you know, you didn't want to listen to the song. I was like, by the end of the episode, we'll have to hear a couple of clips so we can watch some fan videos and stuff. But I'll play this one live performance because it is by far the very best live performance that I saw on YouTube. It's with John and John and Ethan in the band, you know? Oh, nice. So let's see. 
This is uploaded by Chloe E.E.E. on YouTube. This is Columbus, Ohio, November 1st. Oh man, it sounds so rocking. I wish I could go back to 2008 and see this song live. Wow. With the full band. Listen to that. It's awesome. <laughs> Obviously, it sounds like garbage <laughs> on this particular phone that someone filmed it. And that's what I discovered is there's not a lot of good YouTube videos. There's not a lot of good, there's a lot of YouTube videos of Reliant K playing this song live, but there's not a lot of good ones until 2016 because that's when like good phones come out and people are far enough back. But if you want to hear this song with John and John and Ethan in the band, you don't really have a lot of options, unfortunately. And I just want to say, oh, thank and you technically so Dave much. was in the band as well. Right. Thank you so much to Danny who uh, <laughs> at was the like, last second take your headphones <laughs> off before. At the last burst. second, I was like, oh wait, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm not going to sell this joke by blowing your eardrums out. <laughs> thank That's you. That's a bad idea. So yeah, I don't even know about any versions with Dave in the band other than 2016 when he came back. Um, so do you want to hear any of these covers? There's Oh, here's the version that you might like. This is by Carol Jackie. This is Carol Jackie. Jackie spelled with a Y. It's called Remake of Reliant K's Deathbed. It's two, in it, it's two minutes and 55 seconds. Lyrics written by Carol Jackie. Melody by Reliant K. That's in the video. Okay. (laughs) She was looking around. Oh, Carol's actually playing the piano, I think. I don't think this is a sing-over. I'm worried there's a bomb about to go off, (laughs) so... I believe words came from me Fantastic. <laughs> we ask for this every week and we finally have it. And it's the only way I'll listen to this song. If you poop in her place I'm here again. For it. And the whole time she has, this is from 12 years ago. So I don't know what, actually what filter this is, but she's got like an Instagram style filter on her. But it's like a more sort of cheap looking one where it's just like a hat. Right. And, like, a pair of glasses that are magically keyed around her face. But I didn't know what kind of app did this in 2012. Right. 
I guess she didn't want her face in the YouTube video, so this is some sort of thing. Maybe Apple computers had some sort of thing where it tracks your eyes and just puts the overlays on your face. Yeah, maybe. So what do you do? Is that a version of the song you're willing yep. to listen to? Absolutely. Um, here is a car vocal cover. So a person in their car singing the song. This is It's Just Me, Abbers. It's Just Me, Abbers. With the full 11-minute cover, we won't hear the whole thing. We'll just hear the first, like, you know, couple of seconds. I was recording, but I guess I wasn't. So I'm about to play one of my favorite songs, and I can sing the song over and over, or play it over and over again. This is, like, the saddest song ever. Well, not that one. But it's, like, the best song ever. And now we're listening to someone walk across the hall. <laughs> and she's sitting at a red light right now because she's going to start moving in the cars in a second. Such a build-up. Mm-hmm. Indeed. <laughs> I just she she went she she got ready to sing a little too early. She went uh, and then it didn't actually start right then. I can smell the death on the sheets covering me. I can't believe this is the end. It's Jennifer Tilly singing Deathbed. <laughs> Chucky Star the pregnant lady from Family Guy. Poker <laughs> player, professional poker player. All right, what else do you have for us, Dan? <laughs> um, oh, here's one. We saw this exact same person. This is Rebecca Ramir. And they do a um, time-lapse camera on a sketch pad as they make artwork. Oh, while cool. they sing their own cover oh, over it. And this is a one minute cover of Deathbed. I can Say that. What did you just say behind the edit? So, uh, you get one more if you're lucky after this one. Lovely cover. Absolutely beautiful. <laughs> There's no like, what if Blink-182 played Deathbed by Reliant K? There's no like, the paper rockets don't have a punk version and there's a ton of you know vocal covers in people's bedrooms in that case it sounds like you found everything that we need to hear of that so why don't you go and ahead and lots move of on to piano covers stuff. so i know i've talked to you about this i've watched this on youtube once in a while i'm gonna fast forward so you don't have to hear this part. oh my gosh get out of my way thing <laughs> the volume the iphone volume thing's in my way so i can't get the scrub button on the here we go It's Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> he just force choked uh, Padme. <laughs> and the ex-wife took the kids. Now, technically, Yoda took the kids. <laughs> and and Obi-Wan took the kids to other planets. And it just cuts to him, like, killing people, choking people, torturing Han Solo, freezing him in carbonite. 
I love that it's got the sound effects in it. I haven't not I have not watched this like full thing. So are you telling me Darth oh. <laughs> Darth <laughs> with a little bit of the music? <laughs> I like how during this triumphant moment <laughs> Oh my god! What the? Oh, I never watched the end of this video. During the triumphant, this triumphant instrumental section where the music is lifting and the, he starts the edit. Oh, I didn't say this is by Jake Thomas. Jake Thomas runs all of Darth Vader's murders from all of the movies. He runs them backwards so all the people didn't die. So oh, okay, that's nice. I rewound a little bit, and they're showing lots of the celebration. We saw free. Oh, Lord. <laughs> this is the best one. This is the best one. No one can see this. This is an audio podcast, but this is the best one. Luke Skywalker comes flying back in through the window, and this guy, this guy right here, this Imperial guy, like just gets back up on his feet after being choked. But he died in the movie. Oh, and Han Solo gets unfrozen and flies up out of the carbonite I mean, thing. Anyway. Amazing. That's so good. I gotta share that end part. I shared the first part of that for a, for a May the 4th one time, but I gotta share the end part of it more. Oh, there's one, two, three, four. These are amazing. And, like, I don't even know how to, like, talk about these on the podcast. Four fully, fully shot fan videos. Like committed oh, like wow. i would actually upgrade i would personally upgrade at least two of these from fan music video to full film and i know a lot of people have tried to do that people have like done a fan music video to you know a regular reliant k song and it says film by whoever and then it's a little video of a story you know telling the prodigal son story to something but it still looks like it's shot on a camera some of these have real production value like they actually tried to make it look like the the period some of them, they have, like, old cars and stuff, and they actually oh, film wow, the old really cars. Cool. Oh, that's amazing. Like, they, they must have had these... They must have had connections to get these right. assets. That's fantastic. These are, like, real films. They're in black and white. Be sure to share those for sure. And in color, and they go to a bowling alley, and they actually took the effort to oh, try wow. to make it look as 50s as possible. That's very cool. This one is by Sylvia Maria. And they have a longer name that is hidden behind. It's my phone's not. Big. <laughs> they have a long name, Sylvia Maria Sousa de, and then it gets cut off. I don't have good Spanish uh, pronunciation. We know that from me saying "cajon," <laughs> and I tend to just repeat whatever Danny says. So, well, in cajon, in the cajon, in the cajon situation, I had never heard. I never knew it was a Spanish-derived word. I did not know that. And the other big full production fan film is by Jake DeFlippin Crows. Jake DeFlippin Crows, C-R-O-E-S. There's a little less, like, I'm turning down the song. There's a little less of them trying to make it look like the 50s, but it's still a full production. They have an actual old man in this one. They have a real hospital. Or at least a doctor's office that they must have had access to. Like, this is showing a lot of incredible production value value and creativity in these two music videos the other one is just you know kids running around their house acting out the scenes from the song (laughs) and it's just kids in a house there's one by x acting baby x weird name it's very cursed name i don't know and the other big fan video is by 
Emo C. Chem. Emo C. Chem. Strange. Okay. Well, Jessica's about at her, at her end <laughs> of having to listen to this song. So there's also like a full video. There's an, oh, there's, there's a, there's like a, like a ministry play set to the whole song. Like they come out on the stage and they act out the whole song. That's fun. Like that they did that, but it's, it's, it, you know, it's a little embarrassing cause I don't know. I just find like, I find theater ministry just very <laughs> embarrassing. I've always found it embarrassing. I've taken part in it. I find it embarrassing. It's probably cause I have these personal connections to it. So um, Dan, do you like this song more, less or the same as before? I will. I like it more, to be honest. I like it even less. <laughs> I know you do. I I spoiled that for Danny earlier when I was like, "Wow, I'm going through these lyrics," and because it is very similar to a diner situation, I I like it even less, believe it or not. So, well, I'm sorry to hear that. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, hope that we didn't ruin your favorite song <laughs> <laughs> here today, and we'll be back with uh, something fun next week. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh boy, what do you have to play? Last cover, last cover. This is by, maybe this will change your mind. This is Ben Tidwell, and this is him performing the song in a cabaret style. Oh, wow. I'll skip the... (laughs) Jessica doesn't like it. Hey, we love that uh, that Andrew Garfield movie about the guy that made Rent. This is kind of similar. He's just sitting there. This is just like... This is theater. Why is he turning it into a joke? They're all laughing. It's okay. a cabaret. <laughs> well, life is You're a cabaret, so my friend. <laughs> so offended that he turned it into a cabaret. It's like you love this song. Man, I won't let us go, will I? No. We're going to go. I'm going to go watch some Baywatch and uh, we'll talk to you later. Mm -hmm.